So welcome again to another Coffee and Heroes podcast. Uh, for this one, this is now a review show. This is going to be us chatting about comics that came out in the month of May 2019. Um, we're now just a, a little bit into June, so obviously as ever, spoiler filled. Um, please don't be listening to this podcast if you haven't read any of these titles and you're fearful of spoilers. Um, so as ever, I'm delighted to be joined by Keith here and, and I'm Roddy. And uh, yeah, this is uh, this is an exciting month. I have to say, May May was big, uh, big month, big yeah, month yeah. for comics. Mm-hmm. Loads of great titles. Um, I have to be honest. I've been waiting to do this podcast since the first week in May because of a certain title that will be left to last. Uh, mm. not, not to let the cat out of the bag, yeah. but the the month actually began with releases. I think it was either on the first or the second of the month. So that's yeah. the other reason this is a big month. It's and a fa- it, five week it one. It ended. The last releases were on the 29th of the. Yeah, yeah. So there you go. So, so um, we're actually we're actually fairly close to. We'll be maybe looking at some books that were released in the last week of May. So yeah, they're, they're so maybe a week old. So just just be a wee bit careful whenever you're listening yeah. to this. But we the last thing we want to do is spoil anything for anybody. Yeah. Especially with some of these titles, because some of the strengths of these titles is in their surprises and and so forth. But I mean, we'll introduce each title first before talking about it. So if there is one that you are particularly fearful of spoilers, you should be able to skip past it. So um, yeah, as I say, stellar month. I mean, we we've got quite a long list here, uh, and to be honest, these were the creme de la creme. I could have doubled that list. Yeah, I agree. yeah, yeah. easily yeah. with with titles that were interesting. And, and we've got a really good mix. There's a good mix of DC, Marvel, and indie stuff here. Um, so we'll we'll mix it up throughout it. We're not just going to go. Here's our favorite Marvel. Here's our favorite DC. Mm-hmm. It's been a fairly we'll mix it up a bit. Fairly emotional month as well. There was some <laughs> tears before bedtime when it came to some reading some of these titles. You're not wrong. Yeah. <laughs> there was there was tears five minutes before we started recording. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so no there problem. was. Uh, there may have been one or two titles we we reread a little bit of just to well, refamiliarize ourselves. Tears were from Keith, like because we have all the comics sitting out next to beer. <laughs> yeah, well that's really it. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, you may have heard on previous podcasts you'll hear like the opening of bags and boards and so forth we thought we'd avoid that this time but you know it's making me and Keith really nervous we have piles of maybe 10 to 12 comics each they're naked and they're not in bags <laughs> and boards and we're using coasters we're being very careful Roddy doesn't care he's going to spill beer in his <laughs> yeah, in a minute yeah I've got like a cup of coffee on one beer <laughs> the, man, the man's a comic right the savage <laughs> yeah so Eat, eating Doritos and just turning the pages yeah well with that in mind we're going to kick off with a title that I'm looking forward to getting back into the bag and boards so, um, so yeah we're going to kick things off with undoubtedly what I thought was the biggest release, the biggest new release of the month. Um, obviously, you're more than welcome to disagree with me, but for me, I thought this was the biggest release of the month. This is something that had been promoted for a good six to eight months. That um, is finally DC doing their black label properly. Um, this title is Batman Last Night on Earth, and this is book one. It's going to be book one of three. Certainly, it was the most anticipated. Certainly by myself, I know that. Um, I mean, Capullo and Schneider working together is just a dream team for me. The yeah, it's the, our like our it's the our go- generation's Batman. I think. I think so. I think it's I think it's your go to superstar team yeah. because yeah. because they bring the best out of each other. Um, you know, we're we're still trying to get Keith to read Court of Isles at this point. <laughs> oh, it so will happen. It will. It absolutely yeah. will happen. It's sitting there. It's just a matter of getting through my pull list <laughs> and enough time in the week to actually read anything else yeah. so it will happen and when he finally reads it he will understand why we go on about these guys so much because oh, I mean I've got no problem with Capullo I think his art's absolutely fantastic yeah I mean love or hate Schneider with his big cosmic stuff when it comes to doing Batman he is he's the guy I think and 
Grant Morrison told him something when he first took over Batman. He said, if you're going to do a long run on Batman, make sure you do what something that would be classed as Batman's first story and do something that would be classed as his last story in your run, in your continuity. So his first story was within the New 52. It was a 12-issue arc called Zero Year, which was Batman at the very start of his career. And then this one, Last Night on Earth, this is seen very much as the last Schneider Capullo. They've gone on record saying this is their goodbye to Batman. And based on the strength of this first book, they are hitting the ground running with it. Um, the book isn't 100% what I expected it to be. Um, it's made it into yeah. three parts, really, isn't yeah. it? And, yeah. and that's sort of its strength as well, because the surprises kept on coming reading it. When it was first solicited, and you can tell this by the cover art, by Capullo and cover A, it was basically Batman wakes up in the middle of the desert, beside him is the Joker's head in the jar. He's no idea how he got there. That was the, the elevator pitch. But the book actually kicks off with what I presume you know can only be a dream sequence with Batman patrolling uh, the streets of Gotham and he's trying to solve this case where there is um, someone drawing chalk lines and on crime scenes and it all gets pieced together and it's made to look like Batman is lying there dead. Um, as, a, as a chalk outline but on a on the on the level of a, a map of the city yeah and it all points towards Crime Alley which of course were um, you know the Waynes were shot dead when Bruce was a child but this sort of dream sequence ends with Batman finding a boy in the rain just standing there um, ne- or not even standing there sorry I should say kneeled down as if beside his parents bodies um, and that's clearly an, an allegory back to Bruce and then the it's all set up so that the boy shoots him it's a, he seems to be the kid seems to be zombified yeah and there's some sort of mechanism in place that is lifting his arm up and then the arm shoots um, Batman but then it jumps and this is where it got really really interesting for me it jumps to there's, there's always been this well worn theory of Batman that is this all real or is Bruce Wayne crazy and in an asylum and he makes all of this up and this is something Schneider runs with so Bruce is basically um in restraints in Arkham Asylum a young Bruce a young Bruce Wayne so maybe mid 20s uh, I think it would be late 20s because I think they say 20 years ago at one point when your parents were killed mm. so he wakes up and there's a psychiatrist looking at him who looks scarily like you know Greg Capullo's Joker but there's no makeup there's no um, there's no big uh, smile it, it's actually quite a caring looking character who just wants the best for Bruce and Bruce is fighting against the restraints saying let me out let me out this is crazy and then Alfred walks in and he's sort of saying, Bruce, is, is it really you? So you're starting to get the impression that a lot of time has passed here. And when Alfred comes in, he says, you know, no one blames you, Bruce. No one, no one blames you for what you did. And Bruce sort of says, forget what I did. What are you talking about? And Alfred says, when you killed your parents in the alleyway. So it's, it's jumping from there. And, you know, Alfred's trying to get Bruce to accept all these responsibilities. Batman has been made up in his head. This is a coping mechanism for the death of his parents. He's the one that actually killed them. Um, Alfred shows them all around the hospital. And there's other characters standing there who are clearly modelled on Harley Quinn, modelled on the Penguin, modelled on the Mad Hatter. And uh, Alfred's saying, like, you just make all these people up as an ongoing as uh, ongoing characters in your play as Batman. You know, these are people that are trying to help you, that care for you. Um, and then Bruce is locked in a padded cell this this was the part where I was this really hit me with this is not what I expected because mm-hmm. yeah. when Bruce starts scratching along the padded cell going oh there has to be a button here somewhere some way I can get out blah 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 he finds a tear and he pulls out a penny and a dinosaur which same is, as the penny and the dinosaur in the back in cave in the back cave so it's almost like 
this was his way of filling those details and there's a part of me was starting to think is Bruce actually going to start believing it at this point but you know he's screaming he's ripping at the padding saying I'll never believe you and then the next the next couple of pages were where Alfred shows him the straight jacket that he's been in, incarcerated in and yeah. of course the, the 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 helmet of the straight jacket looks very much like 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 Batman's cowl yeah you know yeah. so we're now saying very makeshift yeah it's, because um, here it is here is Batman and it, it seems to be Alfred says it's part of a shock therapy restraint brittle and you know he's fashioned you know the bad ears out of what looks like belt loops um, there's a W on the straight jacket because the Wayne Foundation have taken over this place. Um, so this is this is this has been to protect. This is where Bruce has got the idea. The young Bruce has got the idea of Batman, the fantasy of Batman. From, yeah, is from this restraint, this Wayne Foundation restraint, to keep him safe whenever he's undergoing shock therapy. And the, I say the ears. There's ears here, and as you say, they're belt loops, but they're just the end of belt loops to keep the thing around his chin. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean. It's not like there's a. It's not like there's a. And he sort of, yeah. So this is a this is a mechanism. This is a mechanism from the hospital to to try and keep him safe, you know. And uh, Bruce seems to realise that. Oh right, okay. This is this is this is what it's all about, you know. It's part of the shock therapy for the straight bridle. Um, you know, the Wayne Foundation took over this place years, almost moments after he arrived. Uh, and little do we know this is the uh, this is the moment Bruce realises that they're all lying to him mm-hmm. because he touches Alfred's hand and can feel his heartbeat now that doesn't get revealed for a few pages mm-hmm. but that's, that's right. where because Bruce is sort of stumbling over his words a little bit he's like I I just I I and then Alfred touches his hand says Bruce please say something and then Bruce suddenly just becomes very focused and says I'm going to need that suit back <laughs> and then he starts tearing through this whole um, tearing through the whole asylum taking people down There's and it's really interesting because the the suit that he's now wearing the straight jacket the belts from the straight jacket are flown right. out behind him like a yeah. cape yeah and then he's got the belts around him almost like his utility belt um, and then Alfred's sort of saying like you know look just let me talk to him one to one and Bruce is wanting to know why you know what's the truth behind this um and then he actually touches Alfred, and this this is a throwback. This is something when you do read Cordovals, Keith, you'll you'll see this is something Snyder established ages ago. There was this face mapping technology that Bruce had that was basically an act of camouflage. Mm-hmm. And you can see when he touches Alfred's face, Alfred, as we've always known him, maybe in his sixties, say, yep. suddenly looks in his eighties and is an old uh-huh. man. Uh-huh. Um, and, and you it, can see there's a there's a there's a cross hatching technical cross hatching effect here then mm-hmm. is that what you're talking about yeah so that, that's what I'm saying like if you look at the top of the page Alfred looks sort of 50s yeah. 60s but the bottom of the page yeah, is he's in an old man he's yeah. 90s and it's Bruce figured it out by touching his hand by you know it was the heartbeat of an older man um, why does Bruce still look so young so this all comes around to it, it there's a bit more of this further into the book but um, it's in this sort of two page splash page so um, when Bruce then uh, hooks up with Wonder Woman and all the survivors of this big atrocity that's happened and um, Wonder Woman's like look Batman died I was there you know you were one of the first to go but um, Bruce tells her look I know the original Bruce Wayne developed a machine a final invention that would bring a Bruce Wayne to life every generation imbue him with the memories of the previous Bruce so that he could defend a new Gotham as a new Batman 
I also know what matters is Bruce created that machine so that every generation would have its Batman. So essentially, Bruce is a clone. That's where it got a wee um, bit Snyderish for me. Yeah, <laughs> this is something he established in his new Fifty Two on this idea of ba- like he even wrote a story called Batman Eternal. The uh-huh. Batman will always be there. Yeah. So this is where the the title goes very post apocalyptic, and this is again it just it just kept changing, which I loved. So suddenly Bruce is out in the middle of the desert. He's got this Joker head that's you know talking along with him. Um, you have to think his, his conscience. It actually led to a, a rather good joke of, you know, Batman's carrying this uh, lamp, what looks almost like a lamp with the Joker's head in it. And the Joker's talking to him. He says, ha, yes, look at us, just like old times. Batman and Noggin. <laughs> Am I right? Bats? Hey, is this thing on? Um, so this then brings us out to Coast City. You can see the, the Green Lantern battery has died. Um, the good guys have basically been defeated in some major way here. And you only get snippets of what happened. Um, there's a little bit of a, uh, a confrontation with Batman and some people who are wielding the Green Lantern ring, but they don't have the willpower that Hal Jordan had, so they're not exactly... They're being dragged along by these big Green Lantern babies. <laughs> well, this is the thing. They're using their willpower to try and attack him, but they're just not very good at it, so that's yeah. why they're stumbling around and... There's, a, there's actually a line in there. Um, and it looks like they're being dragged around by the images. Yeah. They're being dragged around by the, yeah, by the Green Lantern images. So that then leads to um, someone dragging Batman inside a, a bunker. And you're introduced to Poison Ivy, who's still alive. You're introduced to uh, Wonder Woman, who's now sporting a rather lovely new mohawk. Uh, you've got Supergirl there as well. Um, so Wonder Woman basically starts talking about this plan for the good guys to go deeper underground because they can't, they don't stand a chance. Against. He's your one. Hmm? He's your one. I'm not actually sure who that is, if I'm honest. Um, is that... Uh, the character who brings Bruce inside. Um, is that her who is one of Wonder Woman's enemies who is also... Could be in, Cheetah. Yeah. Yeah, it could the, be Cheetah actually based on the, um, based on the necklace. And also what you're saying at this point is that sort of good guys and bad guys have sort of come together yeah. Poison Ivy would normally be considered a rogue um, but yeah there's basically been this big massive thing where all the heroes have been defeated the world's very post-apocalyptic now a new um, evil rose in your old city Bruce calling himself Omega the worst yet we fought him alongside what villains were left all of us a final war but we lost he's beyond powerful he has the anti-life equation and has taken over the east coast with it and I bet he's a Bruce Wayne well this is the thing they um bruce then says well this omega whoever he is there has to be a way to bring him down if he's based in gotham he's vulnerable i know gotham better than anyone wonder woman says back to him you want rumors bruce the rumor about omega is that he's someone born and bred in gotham possibly a villain but more likely sigh more likely one of your disciples so as you say it could be one of those but wonder woman has this plan for them she's made a deal with hades that they can go deeper underground and there'll be the tiniest little bit of light because Bruce says, obviously, if we go down there, it's total darkness. Because they're they're hiding in this bunker or gem world or whatever it is. Um, a whole lot of survivors. Yeah, like a, they the, said, the there's about a hundred thousand, I think. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, but Wonder Woman says, I've made a deal with the God of the Dead. He has opened a realm for us. There will be some light there. More importantly, it will be a safe place for everyone. Um, and she's trying to talk Bruce into going with them. Of course, Bruce's natural inclination is to fight this evil, whatever it is. Um, and I think it's this one little confront or not confrontation this one little interaction he has with a little kid that basically says to him there's no way I'm going underground um, he kneels down and this little kid says to him can you see in the dark 
sorry you're batman right people are saying that you you're him so you can see things like a bat my little brother is scared that'll be dark where we're going next down there actually i'm the one that's scared but you can see in the dark right can you teach us how and then bruce sort of tells him about you know it's actually sound waves that allow them to see in the dark and this kind of thing and it's quite a nice wee moment with them sort of doing echoes through this underground bunker and then the next day wonder woman comes up and she's like bruce are you awake i want to show you the plans followed very quickly by damn it goodbye bruce <laughs> she has she saved an actual batman costume for him yeah so and which he's now went out in which is actually the rebirth costume looking at it <laughs> yeah, right. uh, with the yellow bat symbol around it and you find out as well that this is the Joker narrating the story. Whole thing, yeah. Um, so that makes me think Omega's going to be Joker, personally. Um, Do you reckon? Yeah. An older mm. version. But, yeah, it finishes with the last page that's very similar to the cover A by Capullo, where Joker says, and so with that, we set out for parts unknown, Batman and I, Black Page, on one last adventure together. Um, See, I don't think it's going to be Joker, because that's the Joker's head, but we already have precedence for it to be, just because we have a clone, Bruce Wayne, yeah. a new one. Who is this Batman? Mm-hmm. And let's not forget that it's clearly a younger clone. Yeah, that doesn't, even, that doesn't mean that the older Bruce Wayne is dead. Yeah, well, that's true. There, there is a part where he's inviting people into the Hall of Justice, and I think Wonder Woman says, "You were the first to go." Um, there it is here. Uh, Batman, though, he thought the thing to do was to let the people in. Everyone, maybe even empower them. It was the only way we'd win. He said, "So we opened the doors. First, they tore him apart. Then Arthur, Oliver, Dina, her screams." Luther thought he had won until people turned on him too on his villains then that's where they introduced Omega so yeah I mean that that's not a bad shout it could be the real Bruce Wayne gone mm-hmm. a bit crazy yep. and the only person he trusts with his contingency plan to bring him down mm-hmm. is a younger person of himself then your next issue page is a, an image of being with being and Scarecrow is that Scarecrow? yeah because yeah. Yeah. there's a part in it where someone says there was a sighting of being and Scarecrow mm-hmm. so that Scarecrow seems to be like a weird parasitic thing on, on Bean's on Bean, back yeah. yeah it looks really cool yeah it does look really cool it almost really. looks like the end of the Scarecrow's fingers have the syringes in them maybe that's venom he injects into Bean mm-hmm. I don't know possibly be, yeah. but yeah this I thought this was absolutely wonderful I thought that it was different to what I expected but at the same time it gave me everything I wanted uh, mm-hmm. these guys working together is gold for me and we uh, give Black Label a lot of grief but this is Black Label done right. Black Label has, yeah, yeah they've really knocked it out of the park. Yeah, look, it's the right size too. Well, it's the right size, <laughs> it's square bound, it feels special, it feels like an event book. Um, you know, even just things like calling it book one rather than number one. Just To me, this is what Black Label should be. It's a more adult-orientated title. There is, There are bits and pieces of swearing here and there in it, but it's nothing too overt. Um, Capullo's art still shines, despite being yeah. the smaller quote smaller sort of um format but yeah i i adore this i think this will be very high on the lists at the end of the year for for best dc stuff um number two can't come quick enough i just three just gonna be three yeah. books yeah each book 60 plus pages so it's essentially six issues they're double issues yeah. every time um but I really hope that given how long in advance they planned this that, and it's only three books that there won't be any delays. <laughs> it would screw it up in some way. <laughs> One every two months. Perfect swan song. So, yeah, I thought that was the first title worth chatting about. Um, so that was the DC event, uh, Batman Last Night. So uh, let's, uh, let's go into our State of the War report, <laughs> shall we? Uh, <laughs> 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 War report with Keith Miller. 
Uh, War Report Bean. So, we're now uh, into issues three and four of uh, Marvel's War of the Realms by Jason Aaron and we're, Russell Dorman. We're deep, deep in. We are we're deep in. We're, we're in halfway trenches. through. We are in the trenches. Yeah. We're on the front line. Uh, now, I think we've said before that this is, to my mind, this is a really, that's uh, a real masterclass in how to, how to do an event, how to do a modern event. Um, and we've we've talked quite widely about events and the origin of events in our last book club, which was Secret Wars. Mm-hmm. Um, hope you all enjoyed it because we enjoyed doing it. <laughs> <laughs> but three and four. So what we're what we're focusing on uh, this month is issue three, and in uh, in issue three, um, the quest for Thor. Uh, we're leading into we're leading into the three Strike Force books. Mm-hmm. So. And what's really interesting is you can read this book and then read issue four and the Strike Force books all fall between it. And you can still know exactly how the Strike Force books originated and finished yeah. without having read them. But if you go ahead and read the Strike Force books, you get the full story, you get the full tale yeah. fleshed out, you know. So mm-hmm. it's it's a really fantastic way of doing things. So uh, Daredevil, who is now the god without fear, uh, having taken over Heimdall's role as the uh, keeper of the Rainbow Bridge, uh, we've realised that there are a number of different fronts in which this battle has to be fought. Um, it has to be fought on. Uh, it has to be fought in the Dark Elf realm, where uh, where a dark team uh, of Avengers led by led by uh, Freya, uh, Odin's wife, Thor's mother, have to go in and take out the Black Bifrost. The Black Bifrost is the bridge that is allowing. It's the the evil version, the dark elf version, Malekith's version of the Rainbow Bridge, Rainbow which Bridge. allows him to mobilize his forces across the realms, that needs to be destroyed. Uh, in the land of the giants, Thor has been captured by the Frost Giants. Thor is the is the greatest warrior, the last last great hope of Asgard. He needs to be he needs to be recaptured. And, uh, you know he's he's been held hostage. And the War Avengers, uh, so the sorry the, the the land of the giants is the the strike force led by Captain America with. Uh, Wolverine, Luke Cage, Iron Fist and Spider-Man uh, on the horses of the Valkyries mm. the remaining ones that haven't already been killed on Earth and in War of the Realms Strike Force the War Avengers Captain Marvel leads uh, Deadpool and a host of uh, a host of heroes uh, in the, the battle to to keep Earth free and to, to free so so that's all kicked off in, uh, in number three uh, and we see uh, Daredevil the, the, the god without fear uh, learning how to how to use the rainbow bridge and send them off, but of course, the fear is that the rainbow bridge be broken, and they never be allowed. They never be able to come back. So, we I guess we see the start of all of these strike force issues here, um, and uh, that's really fantastic stuff. Counterpointed against um, Loki and Midgard, uh, taking back, taking down a lot of the heroes in London. Um, you know, which leads into the War Avengers stuff. Um, but it's a really solid and the Fantastic Four are now mobilised as the as the city's defenders in New York um, and that that comes back to the latest issue of Fantastic Four which <laughs> you know it's also so issue three is really a, a connective tissue issue three of the War of the Realms is really a connective tissue the collective tissue issue <laughs> which is leading into what's happening everywhere else you know mm-hmm. um, so if we get into the War of the Realms Strike Force issues, there are three one shots uh, by uh, Dennis Hopeless Hallam, uh, our buddy Tom Taylor, and uh, Brian Edward Hill. Um, so, 
you really enjoyed the uh, Land of the Giants actually would it be right well the Land oh. of the Giants one I think is worth worth highlighting because we've talked a lot about obviously yeah this is a good way to run an event and you can read what you want to read and still understand it but I give Vicky this issue to read and she has read zero of War of the Realms apart from this issue and she loved this issue essentially it's what Keith said all you needed to know was they're on a mission to save Thor literally all, all the information he going into and Tom Taylor I know we talk about how good he is but there's a reason for that because he just is consistently that good the The humour introduced in this issue is incredible the feels are there and largely um, that humour is introduced to Spider-Man who yeah. Tom Taylor is writing in Friendly Neighbourhood yeah. yeah I mean it's Spidey just he just works when Tom Taylor is writing it's like what's with the axe cap this was Thor's axe when he was young it is called Yarnborn Spider-Man ah I had a stuffed bear when I was young it was called Fluffles McGee <laughs> probably not as significant <laughs> you know it's um, it's just he understands Spider-Man brilliantly and I think this was a really interesting team as well um, you know Spider-Man's excitement at riding on the back but also this is Peter Parker this is you know and Pete is still despite the fact he's one of the most established heroes in the Marvel Universe he still feels out of place whenever he is surrounded by Captain America and yeah, you know Iron Fist and you know he doesn't see himself as we know him to be one of the the the, the top heroes in the Marvel Universe but he doesn't see himself yeah. as that he still sees himself as a screw up and a hard luck <laughs> hero and a 16 year old nerd who you know but even just like he writes other characters well as well like you've got Danny Rand here the Iron Fist so um, Cap standing up and he said our mission is to travel via the Rainbow Bridge to the frozen realm of Jotunheim and rescue Thor from the clutches of the Frost Giants Danny that's not a mission something that epic should really be called a quest <laughs> Luke Cage it's a bit of a sausage fest <laughs> um, but then we get to what is my favourite part of the whole uh, issue so they are able to go into this armoury and Cap says feel free to choose an Asgardian weapon from the armoury they're surprisingly well labelled <laughs> Um, so Wolverine ends up grabbing this helmet I'm just putting it on Spider-Man who's elected to um, taking a shield because Spidey says I don't really want the weapon Cap I'm not really into smiting enemies so Cap gives him a shield to protect himself but then Wolverine puts this hat on his head and he's just like yeah I, it, it's a magic helm and Spidey's like oh okay so you don't think anything of it you just think it's a wee throwaway joke of Wolverine putting it on but what this actually does which are, is revealed further on it allows him to t talk to horses um, to the Pegasus the so, art's fantastic the art's fantastic yeah, all the way through very special that's actually a good point really special mention to the uh, it's George Molina Jorge Molina yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, like even here they're all riding out in the Pegasus and Danny's like we need a name Wolverine no we don't Danny how about the four horsemen of peace Wolverine no <laughs> Danny I've got it the four horsemen who all punched Apocalypse Wolverine no <laughs> Danny why not Luke well for a start there are five of us Danny oh Luke you forgot to cut yourself didn't you <laughs> but uh, yeah you've got Spidey his label uh, has called his Pegasus Buttercup and uh, <laughs> he calls it Buttercup Wolverine goes you named your horse Spidey you didn't Wolverine my horse is called horse <laughs> But yeah, it's a wee bit like uh, it's a wee bit like Daryl and Walking Dead. He calls his dog yeah. Dog. <laughs> but yeah, then you have some really great action stuff with some of the Frost Giants. Um, you know, some really good stuff here, um, especially where someone goes to attack Spider Man. He's like, "Oh no, you don't! You are not hurting Buttercup!" And, like smacks into the Frost Giant's nose. Um, but yeah, well, the the thing I wanted to mention with the helmet is that it allows Spidey to talk to 
to Buttercup, and Buttercup talks like a normal, a normal person, but then it cuts to the side. <laughs> And Spidey's just like, nah, nah, nah. Yeah, so you, see, you, you see the conversation between Spider Man and the Pegasus. I think nothing of it. And it's a great conversation where where the horse tells Spidey what she, what she's yeah. really called, and then goes, "But Buttercup is also a nice name." Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, and, and like, that, and but um, you see it from the outside. You see it from the other heroes, and Spider's go, Spider Man's going, "Nay, nay." <laughs> then Luke is like, seriously, what the fuck? <laughs> um, so yeah the helmet allows him to uh, to talk to, to Buttercup um, but yeah there's there's just there's great stuff in this the whole way through it it's like um, there's a part where they then find Thor and he's you know busy just kicking ass all over the place and Wolverine goes it's a berserker rage I've been there too many times look it happened to me just the once in Harlem Danny for me it was a group of ninjas Cap I had a particularly bad day with Hitler Spider-Man uh, yeah, maybe this one time there were these Black Friday sales and then it was all a bit of a blur and the next thing I knew I had bought a microwave. It's just, yeah, it's just great stuff all around. But as I say, it, the, I thought this was a great issue and that you literally just needed to know that um, they were trying to save Thor and that was it. But then, of course, it being Tom Taylor, hits you right in the fields where Buttercup dies and, you know, Spidey's like, she fought so well. Cap, I'm sorry, son. Yeah. And Wolverine's reaction is also, you know, from the... You know, it's really, I don't know, it's really Wolverine. Yeah. You know, it's but yeah, it then ends with them burying Buttercup and, you know, Spidey says she has to be buried in her sky so her soul could soar in Midgard's clouds. We took a moment, a moment to say thank you, a moment to say goodbye. The end of the world would just have to wait. Just brilliant stuff. Um, that's That's been the standout issue of War of the Realms for myself so far, I must say. Um, the War of the Realms Strike Force, the Dark Elf Realm by Brian Edward Hill and uh, Lena Francis Yu. Um, takes it a wee bit differently so we have um, the team led by Freya who are going to try and take down the Black Bifrost but you see that and you see that in, in issue 3 and 4 so what this book does is it follows Freya and Frank Castle as they assemble the team and so it kicks off as she's going to Frank saying I need a team but I need a team that is happy that they might not come back because if we capture and destroy the Black Bifrost, there'll be no way back. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So, obviously, this team is con- con- uh, composed of dark characters. So, you, could, you know, Freya, who is turning out to be the big player in War of the Realms, you know, the Thor's mother, the wife of Odin. Um, we've got the Punisher, we've got uh, Jennifer Walder, She Hulk, who, who is now Savage Hulk, who cannot control her, her transformations anymore. Um, we've got Robbie Ray's Ghost Rider and we get Blade the Vampire Hunter um, but what Freya wants is to make sure these people are good for it so this issue is all about Frank Castle gathering this team and putting them through their worst fears you know putting them through the ringer to make sure they are the people that they want um, it's a, so it's a really interesting issue in that way Lionel Francis is always fantastic um, and then the last three pages are you know um, they pick up hours later at the Black Bifrost and, and what happens there and that then picks up immediately in War of the Realms 4 because it's a major part of War of the Realms 4 so so the the Dark Elf Realm another great uh, nice Force one shot and The War Avengers by uh, Dennis Hopeless Hallam um, uh, Kim Jacendo and Ario Anandito on uh, on art um, 
so while Lady Freya leads a mission to Svartalheim to shut down Black Bifrost and Captain America takes a team to rescue Thor from Jotunheim, the previous two one-shots, uh, Captain Marvel will lead the heroes that she has left into the front lines on Earth for this is war. And war requires a whole different kind of avenging. So this is the War Avengers, um, which include um, Captain Marvel, Deadpool, Venom, uh, Sif, Black Widow, Captain Britain, Winter Soldier, and that Hulk Green critter. <laughs> Weapon H, yeah, <laughs> you know the. So it's an interesting one. It's a, it's a, it's a battle book. Um, effectively, they're uh, sort of plotting the war and uh, plotting the background stuff and the, you know. But I think the real crux of it is um, that at the end, I mean, they do they do find um, they do find sanctuary uh, at the Braddock Academy and and. It's not in Britain. It's in that that part of that mythical part of Britain that Captain Britain rules. Um, you know, so they find they find sanctuary where they can, uh, and we see the what. Geez, I hope it's not the death of uh, Black Knight, Union Jack, and Spitfire, because they're fantastic. I love Union Jack. I love them. Uh, they're and Black Knight, fantastic characters. Uh, they really are. But uh, I think what's really important, what's really significant about this issue, is the fact that. Uh, Malekith, well, they lose. They lose. Malekith takes the the cursed blade of Black Knight and uses it to defeat Venom. And in defeating Venom, I think he he seems to get uh, ownership of uh, the God Sword, which is which links back to Colin Bunn's and uh, Donny Cates Venom and Null. An absolute carnage. <laughs> so, I think we're uh, I think we're looking at something there, you know. So, so yeah, three three great books, and they all then dovetail into War of the Realms four. Um, War of the Realms four was pretty fantastic. Um, Odin was very very badly injured at the start of War of the Realms, and uh, he recoups um, whenever he realizes his wife. So we we dovetail into then. Uh, what we just talked about the uh, Dark Elf Realm Strike Force, where Freya went to, and Freya and Odin have been estranged for a very long time. Uh, they haven't been as a married couple because Odin's just been a bit of a dick. Uh, <laughs> you know, he reminds me very much of uh, Tony Soprano and the Sopranos and his relationship with Carmela. Uh, <laughs> you know, and that. Um, but Freya, Freya has to take on the darkness of the Bifrost, the Black Bifrost, in order. To let the other, the others escape, uh, she you know and, and and she becomes she's it's her against, you know, the the dark elves are like she's just a goddess swarm her and tear to pieces. I just want goddess. How many dark elves do you think one goddess is worth? Hundreds, thousands, all of you keep coming until we have an answer. She's a badass, you know. So um, it dovetails into all the other the other bits and pieces, but. Effectively, what it comes down to is uh, Freya can't take all of them, and uh, Iron Man Tony Stark has been working on something, and uh, what he's been working on is uh, is the Iron All Father suit. So uh, Odin can't he he's he's still badly injured and he can't credit his wife being on her own. So uh, he uh, he takes Tony Stark's suit, the suit that he's Tony's made. Which is effectively an Iron Man suit for the All Father, <laughs> which is just pure class. Nice. It's <laughs> you know, a proper yeah. nice as well. Oh, it's uh, really, <clears> really, <throat> really cool. And there's one. Uh, 
there's one uh, he so he steps in to, to save his wife to try and save his wife um, and uh, you know Freya says you know she said once upon a time you spoke the vow and now I'll hold you to it till death do us part husband part I say thee nay <laughs> I'll see you in hell Freya and kiss you like you've never been kissed before <laughs> you know, for thousands of years we've been married she says and you wait until now to finally do it what what in boar's name have I done woman you've turned me on you stupid bastard <laughs> <laughs> death to Svartalheim death to the dogs of Malakin fantastic stuff so uh, great book great uh, great finish uh, you know uh, never mind hell lover kiss me now old fool and uh, they don't make it out but they take out a lot of dark elves in the process so uh, so yeah uh, I think uh, issue 4 of War of the Realms is the turning point where we're starting to see uh, the good guys you know potentially turn around so really looking forward to issue 5 anyway that is the end of our State of the War report so <laughs> it's looking good it's our looking good it's good. a fantastic series fantastic series I think you've been a you would agree, Alan? I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed it, yeah. I have to say. Yeah, so. um, this is the first Marvel event I've read as it's coming out since Secret Empire, I think. Mm. Uh, which mm-hmm. uh, I think is a really underrated one. So, yeah, I really, really dig more of the realms. It, it does make me want to go back and read a lot of the Jason Aaron Thor Avengers stuff. So, um, obviously, they're coming out in rather useful compendiums yep. in the next little while. So, I'll Don't be keeping an eye out for those. Don't fight it. Just <laughs> <laughs> So we go from the War of the Realms to the War on Cybertron. Oh, wow. Oh, Seamless. Yeah. Did you like that? The uh, war so report it's, continues. It's over to me. <laughs> um, so, yeah, uh, we're talking Transformers 4 and 5 that were both out. Um, so, twice monthly series, we're back on Cybertron. Uh, issue 4, we find ourselves Brian Ruckley's story, um, and then we've got like the they're mixing it up with the artist, which is very interesting. Um, so this one has Sarah Pietra Durocher, Angel Hernandez, and Andrew Griffith. Um, so basically, they there's about three different stories running through the entire thing. Yeah, three different. And they're friends, all yeah. yeah, they're all gonna come together at some point. But um, so Optimus is really looking for brainstorm killer brainstorm's killer um oh, you're not talking f- about orion pax there sorry orion, orion pax um Apologies. you know <laughs> yeah um so yeah it starts off windblade and is that ironhead no i can't remember who that is chromia oh, chromia are uh, yes windblade and chromia basically find Cyclonus and they want to talk to him and see they're sort of the investigation team into the yeah. murder aren't they yeah. and see if he know, knew anything or seen anything untoward um, it's really gorgeous art at this point I really love the designs of them all um, but basically they sort of uh, tell him you have to come to Iacon so Cyclonus is a bit, of a bit of an out there living out in the middle of nowhere sort of a room yeah, he's haunted sort of, by his own ghosts But yeah, um, I'm really, really digging it so far. Um, a lot of we, intrigue. We've got the 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 thread that is Prime and Megatron and the mm-hmm. the political side of things, and then we've got the thread that is Are we Rubble? Are we Rubble? And yeah. Bubblebee and, and uh, learning about the world. Who is us really? You know, yeah. as a point of view character. You know, so so there is 
another rubble was is now finds out he is not the newest the youngest the newest yeah he there is another person that is for another Cybertronian that has been forged so rubble now is the second youngest person on Cybertron so kind of follow him as he's growing up and he basically is just learning about the world and the revisionists and everything on towards so he's developing a relationship with wheeljack as well mm-hmm. um so yeah there's a lot of good stuff in number four but number four ends there's not too much megatron um in it but it ends with the funeral of brainstorm and um yeah there's prime and megatron have a little chat at the end and then all were one in primus and uh all are one in Cybertron, all is done. So obviously, Brainstorm's death is basically the the um, crux point. the impetus for yeah. the entire story. Um, it's between him and Rubble. So going on to number five, let's see what we've got. I love the wee um, story story so far. Yeah, so almost like previously. It's oh. like a page a page of um, laid out like a comic just to give you the story so far um, yep same there's again different artists Anna Malkova has joined the team on this one it's really weird looking at the credits because you've got Angel Hernandez here page 4 to 6 8 to 9 12 to 13 16 to 20 but it really works. Mm-hmm. There's never yeah. you never look at it and go. There's no real some stark changes. Yeah. Or sorry, there's no real lack of cohesion here. Um. So yes, we start this one off with Megatron, and he's talking to Soundwave, and there's quite a lot of like. Obviously, we know Megatron as complete evil, maniacal psychopath. But yeah. here we there's quite a lot of explanation to him. You get a lot of backstory. You get a lot of motivation for him which mm-hmm. is really good mm-hmm. um, so this this issue we've got more rubble and so rubble sort of has his first can't contact bumblebee so bumblebee goes off grid to contact soundwave which is very interesting mm-hmm. and then rubble is sort of left to his own devices and he kind of gets lost I mean, as we don't we don't have the same it's easy to think about them in terms of Autobots and Decepticons, but we don't have but those not, lineage yeah, right now, yeah. you know, so, so... But as Bumblebee you're reading got, it, you have those... There's definitely, I mean, there's definitely a, a difference in opinion between them, but it's not like Bumblebee contacting Soundwave is... Yes, an, an a, a traitorous Yeah, uh, traitorous thing, act. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, just yeah. A, almost like old friends trying to bridge yeah, the gap yeah, in peace yeah, or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm not too sure who the, I can't remember the name of this, um, whoever this guy is, Rubble basically stump chases uh, a sort of human-like, ape-like figure down, down to the caverns of Cybertron and he ends up interrupting uh, Something. this guy, I don't know the, the Transformers name, he doesn't really look very familiar, but um looks quite intense looks like Rubble's in trouble and then he just sort of runs off like uh, shouting for Bumblebee um, and his yeah, chase so, yeah so his the chase, chase is down on. and then apparently deactivated yeah 
Or dead. is he? Um, yeah, really, really enjoying this. Um, yeah, very excited for the more. Transformers keeps, is fantastic. Yeah, keeps just. Yep. There's a lot Great of um, a lot of intrigue with all the different uh, Transformers, and then each issue you sort of get. Same with Cyclonus. There, you get like a little something a little more, yeah. a little teaser just to appease your nostalgic side too yeah you get you get a bit of everything you get this new story but, but then you're getting get a wee bit of something about cyclonus there the fact that he's clearly a hunted character he's been in yes, war yeah. or, or or he's failed people and yeah those transformers are still hunting him you know so it's really interesting i mean it's something we talked about during the week is that this is a transformers comic but you know whereas Transformers and the toy line is all about you know the fact that these Transformers transform into vehicles. It's not a thing. It's about the characters. It's yes, not about yeah, their exactly, power to yeah. transform. Yeah. It's not. It's about the thing that it's about their background and their politics and their world building. There's nothing about it. Could be people. There's yeah, nothing about yeah. <laughs> you know. There's nothing about the them transforming or them being on Earth and disguising themselves. So that's it's really yeah. interesting you know they've kind of they've kind of pulled you in going this is a Transformers thing and then it's, it's just a character thing you know yeah very very character driven story yeah. driven as well you don't really get much backstory on why or yeah I'm still waiting to see what Rubble yeah. is going to transform into yeah well, maybe that's a big thing yeah because yeah. he in one of the earlier ones I think he says something about taking his form there's something about that he gets to choose ones, what yeah. his form is going to be yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah very excited for it continues to be great yeah and it's world building in, in a way we haven't seen in Transformers with yeah. regard to the background yeah. you know and where they've come from you know and you don't know if this is is this 10 years before the war and they go to they go to or, Earth, yeah, or is or it like a thousand years yeah. or two thousand years and you know how many years were they asleep in Arc One whenever they crashed? There was yeah. there was a lot. They crashed in the time of the dinosaurs, didn't they? And yeah, then I think so, you know, yeah. but is that is this like two or three thousand years before that? You know, <laughs> I mean, because you, you don't know how Transformers age. You know, yeah, so, well, yeah, it's cool. Really cool. Yeah. Really cool. Cool. So from one new beginning for an established franchise to another new uh, beginning for an established franchise. So I've got Brian Edward Hills uh, and Brian Edward Hills so we talked he's about there, earlier. Yeah, uh, was one the of the Strike Force ones. Uh, Angel number one from Boom Studios um, and the uh, the illustrator, the artist is uh, Gleb Melnikov uh, not someone I'm familiar with. Um, so the Buffy book uh, the, the reboot of the Buffy book has been I've been loving it. I've been loving it. It's it really is fantastic. It's it's one book and say uh, you know I had a fondness for Buffy, but I wasn't a fan. Mm-hmm. But this book has really grabbed me. It's uh, I'm looking forward to it every month. So uh, Angel Number Zero was out. Uh, yeah, it was out around the same time as uh, Buffy Number Four. Yeah, so, so this the, is just the idea fantastic. being that there would be a spin-off title as part of this boom line. Um, and then this is Angel number one. Yeah, and Angel's an interesting character. Angel is the one and only vampire in the world with a soul. Uh, and he's been walking this, the streets of Los Angeles for years, neither human nor vampire, because we, vampires have no soul. They don't care about uh, eating and, you know, killing and eating humans or whatever. Uh, after losing his human protege to another of Los Angeles monsters, Angel is told by his uh, his mystical guide Fifi to journey to Sunnydale, California. We all know what Sunnydale means. Sunnydale's where the hell mouth is. 
uh, uncertain what lies lies ahead for him. The only thing Angel knows is that he is destined to face demons alone, face his demons alone. So, the 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 story in the first issue is great. It's it's a dual story um, about an ancient slayer um, back in God. I don't know where. If it's it's hard to tell from the costumery whether it's uh, I guess whenever America was settled or whether it's England. You know, back in sort of. I wonder if this will be expanded in. in that I believe time. it will, and I think it will because we we follow a Slayer at that time. Yeah, uh, and of course, into every generation, a Slayer is born. So this generation Slayer um, is defeated by Angel, and rather than rather than take her defeat, uh, the thing about certainly vampires and Whedon's universe um, is that in order to become a vampire, a vampire has to bite you, and then you have to drink their blood. So, um, Angel or Angelus, as he was at the time, uh, defeats this slayer, bites her, and then she gives in and makes the choice and drinks his blood and uh, becomes a vampire. You know, and he's like, "Be grateful. I wanted a writer who had an axe." <laughs> you know, uh, and of course, the whole thing about Angel is over the years as a vampire with a soul, he has come to regret the things that he did back in times past and he's become a, I guess an anti-hero um, so the big thing about the, the Buffy reboot is it's set in modern day rather than set in the, the 90s you know so uh, the first thing Angel's commenting on here is you know um, <laughs> he's he's commenting on dating apps you know he's obviously looking at dating apps you know and you know he's like I've earned this hell <laughs> you know <laughs> you know but these kids haven't documenting everything, experiencing nothing. They don't value the ability to forget anything. They want to keep everything forever. <laughs> forever can be cruel. It took me two hundred years to learn that. They learned that at sixteen. You know, so it's uh, it's interesting stuff. And then this kid, document never comes up and takes a photo of tries to take a photo of Angel, and of course you can't see him because he's a vampire. You know, you can't take a photo of a vampire. Um, but that would be tough for him to set up a dating app, then, wouldn't it? Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you. anyway, it's it's juxtaposed against this ancient this story of of angels and jealous back in the past. You know, um, visiting his friend Francis, and uh, Francis is a guy clearly in his maybe forties uh, that Angel is visiting in Los Angeles, and uh, Francis knows who Angel is because. Angel saved Francis life whenever he was a 10 year old boy Francis is now 40 or 50 years old and Angel still is exactly the same um, you know and in this issue Francis acts as the counterpoint to the evil Angelus in the past you know as his conscience you know saying you are a good man you saved me when you were you know, 10 years old if it wasn't for you I would never have had my daughter I would love you to meet my daughter and Angel's going I really, I, really, I don't want to meet your daughter I, I don't think it's right because of course, Angel doesn't think he deserves it. He's mm-hmm. he's a, an irredeemable character as far as he's, he's concerned himself. Uh, I'm not a man, and it's better she didn't know that I that I what I am exists, you know. Um, and this all comes together later on, where uh, you know Angel returns to his, the place that he's living, you know, and uh, Lilith is there. Lilith is a, seems to be a, a a critter of some kind. Um, you know, um, but yeah, it, it comes down to then Francis's daughter, Francis's daughter. So this is where it, it juxtaposes is you had Angel at the start looking at these date naps and talking about these kids who want to document everything and so forth and so on. And, uh, 
this girl Frances, who's the daughter, receives this message from friend to the lonely. You're beautiful. I want to. I want you to know it. Please click here. And uh, in clicking here, she seems to get a message that triggers her to uh, pick up a candle and a and a can of petrol and set her father and mother's house on fire, killing them and herself. You know. So this is clearly going to be the. Uh, the mystery that Angel has to investigate. Meanwhile, he's with Lilith in his own house saying, uh, my condolences for your friend. And he's like, Lilith, what's happening? Tell me what's happening. And she's going, avenge them, avenge them all. There's no time to stop it. She won't tell him how to stop it, but she will tell him that she needs, he needs to avenge them. So, uh, yeah, again, really, really interesting book. Really interesting start to the story. So, looking forward to seeing this continuing. And, uh, as I say, Definitely, I mean, Buffy, I think it's coming out in trade. Yeah, trade's, four or five trade's already out. It's, yeah. it's an interesting one because it's actually hard keeping it in stock at the moment. It seems to just keep selling well. And I think a lot of that is because the critical reception to it yep. has been very, very good. We'll consider this good critical reception. <laughs> uh, I'm going to have another one of my seamless joins here. So from uh, an angel to a devil. Oh, hey, I see what you did. A daredevil, if you will. Um, yeah, so we're going to be talking about Daredevil 5 and 6. Um, of course we've talked about this series a lot Chip Zdarsky uh, on writing duties for issue 5 anyway Marco Cicchetto on art and I just want to throw a special mention out there as well for Julian uh, Totino Tedesco who does the cover for issue 5 which is oh, quite frankly stunning yeah. it's uh, Matt wearing half of his Daredevil costume you know mask just hanging from his hand looking beaten and broken this issue actually came out a week after another issue we'll talk about later. Uh, this, this mystery issue we'll talk about. Um, this issue, this issue broke me a little bit. Um, yep. It starts off with uh, Daredevil. He's escaped from the clutches of the Punisher, uh, an issue we talked about last month, and he's now um, tracked down the Isle or Leland Owlsley um, to a warehouse where he's conducting some illegal activities. And there's some great dialogue here. Um, the sort of Equivalent of thought bubbles, not quite thought bubbles, though, Keith. Mm. Apologies. Daredevil does them well. <clears throat> but Daredevil saying, I should be at home in my favourite chair, a drink in my hand, healing, but I can't not while knowing that Leland Owlsley is planning something. Low level crime boss got cocky, cocky because Daredevil was dead. So I need him to know. I need him to know. <laughs> then it cuts this great page um, where Daredevil jumps down one of his goons. Daredevil will never die. Though Matt Murdock sure feels like he will. <laughs> Um, so Daredevil he's still recovering at this point after his fight with Detective uh, North uh, after his confrontation with the Punisher the detail to really acknowledge here as well is that Daredevil is wearing the Punisher's t-shirt he's pulled it on as something to wear yeah but as a blind man yeah and this is the thing when you had that last issue you thought this was a big statement him putting this on but what's part of the sort of uh, the harshness of this issue is later on someone says to him like you're even wearing his shirt and he's like Am I? His, uh, his buddies from, uh, as many people would know them from the, the Defenders, Defenders TV series, uh, Iron Fist, Jessica Jones and Luke Cage, track him down. Matt thinks they're there to stop him. They're yeah. not there to stop him, they're there to help him. And uh, it's one of them that mentions it, isn't it? That yeah. he's wearing... Uh, so yeah, he gets quite overwhelmed uh, fighting all these goons and then just at the right time, thank God, my friends, Danny, Jessica, Luke, they came to help me. No, they know I'm a murderer. They're here to stop me. So he's completely paranoid at this point as well. Um, and then he just seems to be knocked out. And he wakes up in, is it Danny's apartment? Or my dad? No, it's just his own apartment. But Danny's there helping him um, get back on his feet. He's like, whoa, man, 
I just patched you up with some very expensive Kunlun medicinal bandages. So please don't unpatch yourself just yet. Um, there's the, but then there's the acknowledgement about, because um, I mean this whole story arc has been about the fact that Danny has killed someone Matt. accidentally. Matt, sorry, Matt has killed someone. Daredevil's killed someone. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, a, a tough that roughed him up earlier on, and he hit the guy. The guy hit the ground, smacked his head, died. You know, and it's one of those things. And then there's the acknowledgement that. Um, well, this is the thing. There's an acknowledgement from the other heroes that none of them go out looking for it, but yeah. sometimes it happens. You know what I mean? And Danny, or not Danny, uh, Matt, as, and it's funny because Danny Rand was Daredevil for quite, for a wee <laughs> while. But, uh, but Matt is like, but my God, you're all murderers. We're all murderers. Yeah. You know, it's uh, it's a real mature look at superheroing and street yeah, level superheroing. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's kind of harsh, actually. It's kind of hard. Well, this is why it was such so heartbreaking to read because, like, Matt just can't get over the guilt of he killed a man. You know, he's he's talking to the other defenders and he's like, look, I know why you're really here. Look, I know I seem a bit erratic, but I'm just trying to do what's right because I suppose I wanted you all to know that I, I can still be a hero despite the fact that I and then like sort of stumbles along and the art changes the shadows I killed a man I tried to convince myself I didn't but I hear the sound of his head hitting cement uh, every time I close my eyes um, and so then, that's Matt acknowledging at last in the storyline that yeah, he killed the guy that he actually did kill the, yeah. kill the guy yeah because he he kept trying to look at it as a case of like how did Fisk do this how did he make me think that I killed someone but this is direct acknowledgement and that in the, in the in the world of violence in which he lives yeah sometimes there's casualties these things happen you know what I mean and, yeah. and I don't know I honestly don't know where I'm at with it yeah. I don't know I don't know where I'm at with the fact that that I'm kind of sitting with Matt um, where because I've never thought about that before I've never yeah. thought about the fact that in superhero when there's you know, always going to be collateral damage sometimes you hit the bad guy too hard Yeah, mm-hmm. you know what I mean and he ends up in a wheelchair or he ends up you know what I mean I've never I've never thought about that before yeah. and I'm not sure where I sit with the fact that the others are so comfortable with it but I I don't think they're okay I don't think they're okay with it I think that would be too uh, that would be just too past remarkable I don't think they're okay with it but what they're saying is you know we never go out looking for it it's just sometimes this is a thing that happens and we've all had to deal with it and we all you know yeah. but this is new to Matt and it just goes to show how Matt sort of how holds himself as a lawyer above maybe some of the other superheroes you know what I mean yeah but there's There's maybe not that clear sort of differentiation between Matt as a character and Daredevil as a character you know he very much feels the weight of being a lawyer as well as obviously being a superhero and then something happened at the end of this issue uh, yeah and I think it's it's I it was one of the most powerful scenes that I read and, and it's, it's probably because the, the character in question is my guy like you know but <laughs> Nightwing's in this <laughs> we're, we're reading a Marvel book now <laughs> calm yourself <laughs> but uh, yeah I mean there's that wee um, part you had mentioned uh, where Matt says oh I'm glad that you guys are come to take me in and they're like no we're, we're just worried about you the fight with the cops your new Punisher cosplay and Matt's like I what how did you know when Danny says are you serious you're walking around with a giant skull on your chest man and then whoever did the lettering did this really well because the lettering is all a certain size but then this shrinks a bit where he's sort of talking to himself and he's I never noticed that before I just needed a shirt um but yeah, as you said, all all leads to the defenders leaving, sort of saying like, "Look, shit happens. Sometimes we got to deal with it." Um, and then I'll let you take it from here with your guy. Well, this is uh, you know Matt's Matt's at home 
he's uh he's he's taking tablets he's pouring whiskey you know he's tackling the pain my mind's racing i don't know what to do besides tackle the pain meditate he like always and then and then and then you see i guess the the perception shifts to matt to his radar sense uh his radar sense of the room around him and he says wait someone's here and possibly quiet the hand no there's a heartbeat a strong one i can almost hear his muscles tighten coiled with incredible strength and control he's pure power and he doesn't even know it the best of us and you just you see a figure seeing daredevil and he's here in my home and we realize that it's spider-man you know and that just to me that was class that you know that you know you're seeing it from daredevil's point of view you always see spider-man you always see funny spider-man you yeah. know uh quipping and you know this and that and the other um daredevil is describing him as as, as muscles tightening and coiled with yeah. strength and control you see how much Peter Parker controls his strength in order to 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 be a hero and not hurt people and you know and which is the opposite of what has happened here yeah the daredevil has sort of lost, lost control, control you know and they're talking about he's pure power and he doesn't even know it you know and uh, so so yeah and Spider-Man is here uh, you know and he's he's here to tell him that it's over yeah. Daredevil's done. He's like, you're done. You're a mess. You know, we can't do this anymore. Um, you know, he doesn't know who he, he says. Listen, I followed you here. I don't know who you are. I don't know. You know, I know this is your home. I don't know who you are. I don't know your identity. But you killed a man. I've been there. It's horrible. I've had to do a lot of soul searching after. I had to learn to be better at this. Better at what we do. But you're a mess. You're in trouble. I'm on a suicide mission. I'm here to tell you, you're done you're over and uh, that was powerful stuff you know uh, you know all of us know what we do that we can't do this job forever and there's going to be a day when we make too many missteps when our bodies fail when which is interesting reading life story now yeah uh, when too many people get hurt and not enough get saved I hope somebody would step up and let me know when it's my day right now it's your day it's over I'm spreading the word if any of us see you out there attempting this we'll stop you we have to or it could all be the end of all of us. We need to, and he picks up his whiskey glass. Stop. So, that that's class to me. That was just a really powerful scene. Just that description of Spidey and how Spidey, you know, takes it upon himself to a fellow, yeah, costume hero to go. And it's enough. not through violence. It's yeah. not through pinning him up against the wall with spider webs or anything. It's like, look, man to man, you need to stop. Um, and and Matt agrees with him. Oh, well that's that's why this was so heartbreaking to yeah. read because it wasn't Matt going like look no I can get better or no I can fix this he literally looks down and then straight away just goes you're right takes his, takes the, the the mask off he just tosses it to mm-hmm. Spidey as if it's nothing you know it's and, uh, a moment the last, done uh, the last uh, word panel cast out the devil yeah <laughs> um, great stuff and that's just issue 5 <laughs> yeah. and that, that ends the first uh, Zdarsky arc on yeah, Daredevil it does, that, yeah, it does. that ends a storyline called No Fear whereas the second storyline is called uh, no, no Devils No Devils Only, only God, God. Um, and it's an interesting one that picks up uh, some months later Daredevil, Daredevil hasn't been seen uh, Matt Murdock is Matt Murdock um, he is the blind lawyer uh, very much uh, you know we're seeing Detective North who still can't get over the fact that he, he had never Daredevil, finished Daredevil yeah, yeah. unfinished business 
you know so it's it's kind of interesting we see daredevil we see the frustration of kingpin in the same way um we never took daredevil down and i love those scenes i mean i'm <laughs> training and fighting well you see frank frank miller did that first scene in born, born again yeah you know we've we'd always seen we well he didn't do it but he we've always seen it in daredevil comics but frank miller did it best in born again and yeah. that was one of those born again alongside watchmen and alongside um uh, what were we talking about? Dark Knight Returns. Dark Knight Returns. You know, those were those were the start of the modern edge comics. You know, and uh, so whenever you see Kingpin and a and a gee, you know, beating the crap out of <laughs> guys, you know, he's always you know he's a big guy, he looks after himself. Um, but yeah, so uh, so yeah, we're seeing we're seeing Matt Murdock in his in his life and yeah, and there's an interesting interaction with a librarian, is it, or a woman who yes, owns a bookstore? That's right, yeah. And there's a great wee scene that sort of you know damages Matt's ego a little bit because he can hear her heartbeat and he's like, "Oh no, she's not attracted to me." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So the things he knows and the things he doesn't know, and uh, we see Detective North. There, there's some corrupt cops trying to take him down, and some criminals uh, on behalf of uh, the Isle, Leslie yeah. Leland, take him out, and we see some crime being done in Hell's Kitchen and. Matt's not there to stop it, you know. Daredevil's not there to stop it, but there's a costume hanging in a costume shop, and uh, I don't know, I don't know where this is going, but uh, yeah. Well, it all goes back to that little tweet Sadarsky had up. Someone said there's a new Daredevil in town, and he just retweeted, went, no, there's not. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but yeah, uh, yeah, it's it's a great book so far. First trades um, due very soon. Um, As I say, which will cover that whole no fear arc, but we can't recommend that enough. That's just brilliant storytelling. And it's interesting you say the links with you know life story, given that Sadarsky also writes it. Yep, and then as I say, that lovely link with, uh, with Born Again there with the with the fight scene. With yeah, it, you know, yeah. So great. respect for the past as well. Um, my next seamless link is going to break me a little bit, but from one cancelled TV show to another <laughs> at the moment. Um, so obviously Daredevil came to an end with the whole Netflix stuff. Um, I just wanted to throw a little bit of love out there for Deadly Class Thirty Eight. Um, again I'll not spoil it too much but the thing that I loved about this issue is so for reasons one or another and I'll not go into details but reasons one or another Marcus and Maria are a couple they managed to escape King's Dominion and get out clean so when I saw this cover uh, released which is uh, maybe 15 issues later it's Marcus on the steps of King's Dominion getting ready to head back in and I like the little detail actually he's holding a pencil made me think of John Wick he killed a man with a pencil um, as did the Joker in uh, Dark Knight Returns he made a pencil disappear you're right um, but yeah when I saw this cover I thought oh crap we're in the end game here this is going to be the end of Deadly Class he's going back to Keane's Dominion unfinished business that kind of thing but Rick Remender actually tweeted me back and said no 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 there's, there's much more to come and this issue gave it a brand new lease of life because Marcus comes back to the school and he thinks he's going to be a pariah and people are going to look at him badly but he's actually become a celebrity because mm-hmm. he's the guy who was able to escape the school so suddenly all the girls are attracted to him which tests his relationship with Maria suddenly all the boys are attracted to her because you know she survives certain death and all this kind of stuff mm-hmm. so it just gave it a whole brand new lease of life and the headmaster uh, Master Lin actually just brings them back in with open arms because they're an example of what King's Dominion can do um, in terms of how they can train people to survive the very worst um, but yeah, I, I adored this issue as a cell. Not going through it too much. I just wanted to throw a little bit of, a little bit of love for it. Um, Maria comes back as now the head of the new cartel. Um, but yeah, the fact that it's going to test their relationship a little bit, I think, is going to be interesting. Um, 
there's a guy Shabnam who's become like the unofficial head of King's Dominion you know he's the one that seized power mm-hmm. and he confronts them at the end and he's like I don't know what you're thinking but you're not coming in here making some kind of big play this is my school um, but by the very end you know Marcus just beats crap out of him and just says just wait <laughs> to see what other secrets we've got and then there's a couple of ominous figures looking on from the, the shadows um, yeah I mean anybody who listens to this podcast they know how much I go on about Deadly Class and how good it is mm-hmm. There was the news this week, sadly, that Sci-Fi is not renewing the show, um, yeah. but the cast and the creators have been very vocal on social media. They're shopping it around other networks, and Sony, who financed the making of the show, are behind them. So, right. Well, I'd I say really that's, that's fairly solid. Really hope yeah. it finds a new. But a you new know home. what? The show's good and all, but it's not, the comics better. And yeah. we still have the comics, so it's one of those things. I mean, as a fan myself. I'm bummed out but I can get over it quickly the reason I want the show to do well is because it brings more attention to the book mm. um, you know I like to think that's what The Walking Dead did mm-hmm. you know, Walking Dead had a very hardcore audience of readers um, but then once it became a TV show suddenly people started buying trades suddenly they started going oh how is this different mm-hmm. so I just want Deadly Class to last that bit longer TV wise because I think it'll be more yeah. it'll bring more people yeah. to the book which I love um yeah, I don't really have a seamless link for this one other than they both begin with D. Um, <laughs> you were doing so well. It's doing so well. Um, but it's that man, Tom Taylor, again. Uh, this was another DC event that launched in May. Uh, this was Deceased, or DC Eased, or DC, whatever you well, want to DC call it. DC Eased worked last month whenever they got rid of all those people. Yeah. You know, it was quantitatively easing. <laughs> <laughs> DC quantitatively eased. It was with DC Eased. Um, but yeah Deceased number one so it's our boy Tom Taylor again you can tell with that title it's, it's going to be a wee bit tongue in cheek yeah you know. very much so This the reason I am really loving this book so far we're only going to talk about issue one but issue two just came out and we've, we've read it um, it's just self-contained it's fun it's you can play with these established characters these characters who've been around 70, 80 years there's no oh no no you can't do that because we need them over here this is purely self-contained and a lot of fun. Um, Keith said it before. I mean, this is DC's version of Marvel Zombies, essentially. Um, it's a throwaway. It's a kind of a throwaway thing, you know. We have we have uh, Dark Side and uh, Dark Side's all about the NLF equation. Yeah. Uh, and then Dark Side captures Cyborg and puts Cyborg together with the NLF equation and makes the NLF equation digital apparently and corrupts it in some way and yeah. sends it back to Earth and away we go suddenly we've got Stephen King's The Cell <laughs> you know where everybody becomes zombies when they look at their phones yeah, yeah. Um, I mean Keith will be enjoying Satire, eh? Keith will be enjoying this because you know Dick Grayson's in it as Dick Grayson for a change um, I mean that's the most Dick Gray- <laughs> most Nightwing I've seen in fucking months yeah. anytime you're ready DC <laughs> yeah I mean it's um, it was a fun start to kick off with but what you should have seen was that the, the whole no holds barred aspect uh, is brought together really quickly because Darkseid's destroyed by this yeah. straight away um, and then and there's even a nice little throwaway line said by Daysad um, Darkseid is and then it cuts to <laughs> yep. Darkseid was uh, which is really fun so yeah the, the virus makes its way to Earth um, oh, that's and we, uh, yeah, so we Mr. Miracle yeah. yeah throwback yeah uh, so it makes its way to earth and people are starting to be infected people are turning into zombies um, they're trying their best to stop people from looking at their phones looking at the internet 
Um, How can you ever do that? I mean, that, that's the trick, isn't it? That, that Cyborg is transported back to Earth. Yeah. And he immediately tries to firewall himself, but he's not quick enough. Yeah. And he connects to the internet, and then people are looking at the phones, and then one, you know, then it, it's like a meme. It's like a, you know, one, one person sees it, and then someone else, you know, so it's. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's definitely a social commentary there, I think. Oh, mm-hmm. big time. Yep. Big time. Um, but yeah, it cuts, uh, cuts then later on. And, <gasps> John, uh, Jonathan Kent and Damian Wayne are sitting playing computer games at home. Superman storms home really quickly. Um, and um, Jonathan Kent's about to look at his phone, but Superman gets there in time, says, no, get away, don't look at the screen. No screens. It then cuts to Batman looking at the back computer, being like, you know, connect to the backup analog camera system because he's figured out that it's all a digital signal. Um, and he's checking how many affected and the thing that uh, shows again it's going to be no holds barred at this point is um, Batman's shouting at the screen has connection been disabled in the house no it's been disabled in the cave damn it the house. Yeah, so yeah. that's him worried because as soon as he goes back um, he's infected you know you had to grace him for a couple of uh, pages mm-hmm. yeah that's right uh, yeah we had a wee bit of yep absolutely so now Nightwing's been inf- infected Alfred's trying to hold him back all the Robins have been infected all of them except for Damien who of course was with Jonathan mm-hmm. but uh, Tim Drake and uh, Nightwing start attacking Batman by the end of the issue they're biting him they're tearing flesh off him and, uh, and well Nightwing is so I mean obviously proven that once again Dick Grayson is superior to him <laughs> <laughs> The only reason he gets near him is because Tim Drake bites his hand. Because Bruce actually says, Dick, listen to me, I don't want to hurt you. But then Tim Drake grabs him. So uh, he needed a team up. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's it's quite a nasty, grisly little title, you know. But it's, it's a weird thing to say that it's fun. But as you say, throwaway is a pretty good description because this is not going to be a 100-page arc. This is not going to be 20 volumes. This is... Well, it's supposed to be six issues. By the time they're finished with it, it'll be 11 issues and two one-shots. I would have no problem with that. <laughs> Especially given how issue two went. Issue yeah. two was great. And here's hoping our uh, listeners don't get infected by uh, listening to our podcast. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that was Deceased number one. Um, we'll throw another little bit of love for another DC title, which is Flash. Um, Keith and I have talked about Flash quite a lot. Joshua Williamson, very much the unsung hero of the DC universe. He has been... Um, on Flash from the beginning and with this he's doing year one and it's an interesting take on the whole thing because um, it's coming out of it's coming out of the core Flash story it's not just um, it's not just a they've stopped the Flash story and they're telling retelling the origin it's part of the story uh, it's to do with the Sedge Force and yeah. um, Barry being forced to been forced to look at parts of his uh, his origin that he's never seen before. Yeah. Uh, and parts that we've never seen before. Um, of how you know. We we know how Barry got his powers, but we don't know who he was before that. You know, we know that his mother was killed. Mm-hmm. Um, but so we're seeing, we're seeing all the fill-in bits. You know, all the bits that we hadn't seen. You know, so this is uh, it's really interesting. So we're, we're sort of retelling the origin a wee bit, and yeah, and then you know, so if we. It tells us that we uh, what is it what what date is it February the eleventh you know and uh, he gets struck by lightning and so forth then he's in a coma for a while and then June fifteenth which coincidentally is my brother's birthday um, happy birthday you know it's <laughs> <laughs> it, uh, 
uh, Barry Allen wakes up in hospital and then you know suddenly his speed powers activate and he's trying to figure out what's going on he knocks over a tray and he's picking up all the stuff out of the air which is sort of fairly classic sort of stuff and um, he's trying to control the he's trying to figure out if he's teleporting or what he's doing and then he's he can't figure out how to stop without falling over without setting his shoes on fire <laughs> you know um, which is all sort of awesome stuff um, and then he I like I like that little sequence there where he, he probably sells an age old question where people have always said like could he not just read every book in existence and you know he'd be the smartest man in the world my brain loses information just as fast just as, 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 I, fast read as I read it because he's like yeah. Barry Allen smartest man alive or not <laughs> Uh, but yeah, he's trying to figure out his powers. Um, Laws of physics still apply. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really. you know. And then he if he tries, he goes, "I need better shoes." And then uh, he realized Wayne Tech have donated these fireproof jackets to the Central City Police Department, and he makes shoes out of them. Yeah, uh, you know. And then he's trying to figure out, you know, just how, how to stop friction shield. Need something to cover ears so I can hear over the wind. Top speed? Question mark. <laughs> you know. And he's not. He's just. He's in this red jacket, this red t-shirt, and these, um, you know, these jeans, and these, you know, he's wearing knee pads and elbow pads, <laughs> and he's got these now these, these uh, shoes, and he tries to test his top speed, and in testing his top speed, he throws himself into the future. Yeah. You know, he breaks the he breaks the time barrier, um, and it's the, the turtle who is, has always been a I guess a comedy villain of the Flash yeah. as he's slow and you know he's the opposite of the flash but and recently recently the slow the slow force uh, is that what it's called yeah uh, it's become a thing you know and, but then we meet uh, the Barry Allen of the future who's a, clearly a badass um, you know he's got a, a sleeveless top and gloves and you know is built um, which is not something usually associated with the flash you know what he's, well but he's been waiting for the flash he's been waiting for year one Barry Allen to appear clearly mm-hmm. so he can teach him some stuff you know um which goes on into chapter two, you know, and uh, I do like the very meta line there of at the end of issue seven, where it's like, "When are we going to learn how dangerous time travel is?" Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and, and it starts the next issue starts with Barry Allen, young Barry Allen going who who, and uh, old Barry Allen is clearly he's he's been here before. He's like, "Oh, buddy, I guess I just assumed you'd see the resemblance." I'm you, Barry. Well, maybe a few years closer to the finish line, you know. So. <laughs> This older Barry Allen is cool. He's got, you know, he's got a beard, and you know, he's, you know, he's clearly older, and so he's he's trying to, you know, he, he shows Barry how to things like how to stop. You know, he goes, you slide into it. <laughs> you know, you don't just stop. You slide into it. You know, how did you stop without tripping? I slide into it. You know, and uh, so future me, and you're a superhero. The life ahead of you is awesome, is awesome, Barry. Space, time travel, multiverse team-ups with gods, monsters, space cops, and the great loves. There were hard days, you know, but I loved every second of it. You know, so he's... This future Barry tries not to give away anything that's happening in this future that's been taken over by the turtle. Um, he needs a hand with the thing, but he tries not to give away any of the details because uh, he doesn't want to change things for Barry. Yeah. Uh, for young Barry, um, he tries not to give, but he tries to teach him the things that he needs to, he needs to learn, uh, sliding into the stop, uh, not overthinking, uh, not overthinking how he uses his speed, feeling it, you know, and that's the interesting thing is Barry has always been the scientist about it, whereas, whereas Wally has always been the, the emotional, the feeling side of things, you know, something that Barry never quite got. 
Um, so yeah, it's a uh, it's a great. Uh, so far, it's been great. Uh, the first two issues, uh, and then of course, uh, older Flash helps Barry rebuild the uh, cosmic treadmill in the future to uh, to send him back to the past uh, with a few lessons learned. Um, you know, and as he as he crashes back, he's on the cosmic speed well. He he breaks the time barrier and he, he ends up back in the central city of our time and <laughs> crashes in. You know, and as he stops, he just goes, "Oh yeah, slide into it." <laughs> <laughs> you know, so um, it's really interesting stuff. It's uh, and he's still at this point. Barry's still trying to to ask Iris out uh, and all of this, all of this sort of stuff. So. Uh, so yeah, and then by the end of the issue, the, the 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 year one version of the turtle is bothering Central City, and uh, Barry, having been inspired by his older self, you know, paints the Flash onto the the Flash symbol onto his T-shirt, and uh, screeches in to uh, to be a hero for the first time. Um, you know, it's interesting that he doesn't conceal his identity as well. No, he doesn't. But it's kind of I guess it's the same as the way he did with Superman. Uh, with Remember, was it New Fifty Two or Fifty Two? Yeah, New Fifty Two. He was just that. in jeans and a t-shirt, and yeah, yeah. But Superman, yeah, but he wears glasses. I put it away. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. Good, uh, good stuff. Good stuff. <clears throat> yeah. So that was Flash seventy and seventy one. Um, then we have a title that uh, I know you had picked up, Keith, just pretty much on spec, um, just off the racks. Um, Roddy did give it a quick read, but was yeah, I thumbed through it, but not to your taste. Magic and wizardry and wands, not for me. Well, this was one that we previewed a few months ago. Um, it was in the just as you say that it was in the previews book. As if you liked Magic Order, you'll like yeah. this. As we like Magic Order. You like Magic Order. I've never read Magic Order, so maybe Ooh. maybe that's the one to turn me around. Future book club, Magic. so yeah, you will. There we are. You'll read okay. it. Uh, but yeah, so this is a title called Excellence. Uh, it's just one issue deep so far. I think issue two might be out start of June, so sometime very, very soon. It's written by Brandon Thomas and uh, art by Carrie Randolph. Um, but yeah, as it's, you say, it's, it's urban fantasy. Yeah, um, and it's 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 definitely sort of sort of more sort of focused on the black community. Um, the characters are all are all from that community and. Uh, they're setting up they're setting up a thing at the very very start uh, they're setting up a, like a set of rules or a set of world building at the start so there's four rules uh, the protection and defense of the undeserving is not allowed the creation of a magician's wand without permission is not allowed the casting of spells without an approved wand is not allowed and the use of magic by females is not allowed um, and we look at the Aegis which is the building in which these families live in New York City and the overseer is casting colours white. The tenth level is uh, casting colour purple. And then down below you get the patrons casting colour blue and the rooks casting colour green. The average age of a magical activation of a male is 5.1 years old. So um, we start in the ages in, uh, in New York City and it looks like we're at the purple level here. And we're looking at the, the birth of a child, Mr. Deals. Sir, whenever you're ready, sir. Uh, this kid, um, so Mr. Deals. Is uh is clearly a, a mover and shaker. There, there are these five families. It looks like, um, that are, that control magic, and there are certain individuals, um, in the world who are pivotal, and these pivotal individuals need to be protected. And so these magicians, 
the lineage of these magicians is to protect these individuals, um, as you read. Um, but uh, Mr. Deals, um, we watch as this kid grows up through age one, age two, age three, age four, age five. We know that age 5.1 is the average age of magical activation of males. Mm -hmm. And this kid just, um, he's not quite getting it. He's not quite... Uh, yeah, it cuts uh, to age six, age seven, age eight. You know, tears are filling his eyes. He's trying his hardest. But his father seems to be pouring his energy then into a different person. Because he's picking up. He looks strangely like Killmonger out of Black Panther. Yeah, we got doesn't he? Yeah. <laughs> but... Uh, you know, and there's there's there seems to be familial problems going on between uh, Raymond and his <coughs> wife, the father. You know, because he's putting pressure on the kid, and you know, eventually at age nine, you know, almost twice the age that he's supposed to have developed his magical activation. You know, this kid discovers rage, discovers anger, yeah. and it's that anger that powers his magic. But it's it's an uncontrolled anger. Um, you know, it's not yeah. So, uh, so we're getting there, and it's it's interesting. You know, we see his test. Uh, we see his test where at age 13, uh, you know, 12, 13, 14, and at age 15, I think, is it age 15 he has his test? Yeah. Yeah. Age 15, so he's got his grandmother there, and of course women aren't allowed to manipulate magic, but his grandmother seems to be, she's a wise woman, you know, and uh, she's telling him about this and that, and, uh, you know, not to be a dick, effectively. Um she also gives him a haircut ready for his trial and after she finishes he says where's the mirror at and, he's, and his grandmother says don't make me fuck you up Spencer <laughs> exactly so um, you know she's 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 good for haircuts and life lessons um, <laughs> you know and then he goes into his he goes into his test and uh, in his test he you know he breaks some of the rules um, you know he's up against he's up against the kid who his father has taken on and uh, he breaks he breaks some of the rules doesn't he yep um, he doesn't use his wand is that it um, he I doesn't have a wand I think so slightly further in um, where are we because they keep saying like you're not ready you're not ready um, but his grandmother basically had a trick that would help him get through it and uh -huh. he's like no no I want to do it on my own but then it flashes back to where he was walking off and then he's just about to walk out the door and he looks back and he goes grandma tell me the trick yeah and she's like smiling on her face so again showing that uh, she's a very wise woman um despite the fact women aren't supposed to use magic yeah she's but she basically some. says to him you're from one of the 10 original lines and that legacy will always allow you to do some shit you're not supposed to do press that advantage boy and he says but we're not allowed to cast without ones it's the quickest way to fail and she says no that's just in place to stop you fixing the lives of people they say don't deserve it uh, but to lay all out and give everything to protect one of their sacred charges, show them that they'll always matter more. Forgiveness, Spencer, never permission. Ah, uh, brilliant. Yeah, you know that's it. Always apologize rather than ask permission. So that's the <laughs> that's the crux of it. So, so this is the this is the start of the thing. Um, it ends on a on a wee bit of a cliffhanger. Um, you know, we're looking at it's being narrated by by Spencer and looking at his relationship. I mean. It's a, it's a relationship between a father and a son, mm -hmm. uh, as as what is at the core here, um, and it comes to it comes to the fore whenever the grandmother who we already established is close to Spencer, uh, whenever she is ill, and Spencer just wants to use magic to fix her. 
we can fix her and the father who's a stick you know we've already seen Spencer breaking the rules in order to pass his test for the greater good uh, but the father says you know you think you think I don't want that you know enough to know that it's not allowed it's never been allowed and you know the father forbids him to use magic to fix the grandmother and uh, and it, it's setting up it's setting up a conflict there yeah I think you know and uh, it flashes forward to age 19 where he's on his knees in front of some magic spectral mm-hmm. figure um, I, I thought this was really good I, yeah. I thought it set up loads of interesting threads um, I do understand sometimes with what Roddy's saying that Image are producing books at such a volume now that there is a danger that some of them can bleed into each other. Yeah, okay. But I thought this one was individualistic enough. Yep. Um, I thought it, it stood on its own, and um, I'm glad I grabbed the first issue. I'll definitely be uh, sticking with it and going from there. So For sure, for sure. But uh, yeah, we'll go from a title that you didn't particularly like to one that you really liked. Yeah, um, so we're going to an Aftershock title called Killer Groove. Um, so as just listeners may know, we loved another musical title. Gunning for Hits. Gunning for Hits. By Jeff Ruby. So I think we were, I don't know, I don't know if this was kind of like saturation point. Do we want another musical thriller so soon? Do we? But um, yeah, we do. I quite liked it. Um, it's very retro, old school strikes me as a 1970s thing there's a fake uh, $3.99 $3.99 sticker tag, on the cover yeah. so <laughs> you were trying to I scrub quite like that, that. Like, yeah, that's another comic <laughs> brand <laughs> trying to scrub it up um, but yeah uh, it's by Ollie Masters he's done a great series called Snowblind he's done a few indie titles and the artist is an Irish artist called Owen Marin okay so, and then Jordy Belair does the colours as well oh Jordy Belair I'm called Jordy Belair of uh, writer of Buffy, Buffy, writer of Buffy yeah. the Vampire Slayer multi-talented um, yeah bastard. so we start off um, there's a little thread a little sort of pre-credits thing with a, a guy escaping uh, a few criminals with uh, and he escapes with a briefcase into a swimming pool and then runs away and then we join our uh I don't know if he's a hero really but our main character who's a struggling musician like old school acoustic singer just playing to a bar that no one cares um so he's trying to get it on with jackie who's just not interested um he's drinking himself to sleep um and then sort of turns out he stops a fight in an alleyway but he ends up killing the dude killing a dude yeah and the other guy who he sort of saves in a way um the guy is like i owe you a coffee um and obviously absolutely no remorse shown here really <laughs> None. he's just like yeah that's that's fine um kill so the guy stab him in the, the guy buys him a coffee and he's like here um, you didn't really show any remorse there I think uh, we could maybe team up and do something you know because I needed a musician <laughs> that kills people and doesn't yeah. show remorse so um, nothing's really going right for him in his musical career so I guess he's like kill people why not um, so that's pretty much it That's um, it's a really old school kind of vibe a lot of intrigue just happening there's also a really good scene there's a really the other side of the story kind of joins the 
daughter of the um, the daughter Jackie of the guy who we see in the first scene um, there is a little girl and she says her dad's gone missing she's nine years old she smokes and she has a lot of money so she's trying to pay off this private get private investigator to investigate the death of her dad and that private investigator is not the girl that he was coming on to in the bar it is that is the girl yep. why is she okay I thought she was so there's the a lot okay. of there's a lot of uh, interesting stuff going on um, but yeah I think the art is very quite simple shall we say yeah. um, I don't know if I'm clear where it's going yeah don't know where but it's I going. think that's a, like it's very interesting I didn't think it was stunning oh dude was, with the briefcase meets the brain yeah. investigator at the end or that's daughter oh okay yeah. so the dude or, who, sorry uncle the uncle, dude who jumped yeah. out the dude who jumped out of the window yeah. at the start and there we go so okay. that's your kind of tie to to tie it all together so I don't know where it's going to go Aftershock sounds pretty cool quite liked it yeah interesting to see where it goes but you didn't really like it all still going for it I enjoyed it to a degree I just um didn't yeah. It didn't grab me as much as obviously I grabbed you. Um and I love some good aftershock titles. Um but again I think it's just I read so many titles a week. You know, I must read anywhere between twenty, twenty two titles a week that if something doesn't grab me I'll maybe not continue with it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um but given that you enjoyed it, I'll probably pick up issue two anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah, from one indie title to another, um, this is one that I could talk about all day. Uh, this is Little Bird. Saying uh, you could do this all day. I am indeed <laughs> like the greatest uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe character. Um, yeah, Little Bird is. It's an interesting one because I actually overheard you say earlier that there's a little bit of a June aspect to yeah, this. Frank Herbert's June. Yeah, yeah, I wholeheartedly can see what you're talking about. Um, this has been a great book so far. It is. Was it the same writer as House of Penance, or was it just the artist? No, Ian Bertram is the artist on House of Penance. Yeah. Um, I can't remember the writer off my head. Um, Darcy Van Pol Geest is the writer. Yeah. He was a documentary filmmaker before. I think that's the first ever comic. He's I mean, written. this couldn't go any further away from documentary yeah. if it tried. This is. It's really, really weird. Yeah. Yeah. In the best possible way, yeah. though, it's it's an interesting thing. It's an interesting comparison to make, but it reminds me a little tiny bit of Middle West in that mm. it's a hyper version of reality. And oh, then, but and you then can, some. You believe it's happening, with but the, they've just established. Yeah, all, yeah, they haven't spent you know four, five, six issues, you know, detailing the lore of this. No, issue. You're just, you just you're accept just, it yeah, that yeah. this is what you're this world is. Then, yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, beautiful artwork um, with this one. Um, so the main character's name again what do you call the big guy Axe is it just the Axe mm-hmm. that's just the coolest name ever Axel is his name Axel, um, such such. but at this point they're trying to escape and uh, they was there a jump between issue 2 and issue 3 mm-hmm. I think it was a little bit of a jump yeah, yeah. yeah. I'd say the jump a little bit but what they're essentially doing is trying to escape in this underground uh, vessel and they end up being um, found out by I assume it's the pirates of this world almost um, who just want to sell them out but what's interesting about it is that the guy who leads the pirates is um, Axe's former sergeant and he thinks that uh, they're going to get on well but nope he's going to sell them out to the big evil religious corporation um, has the this Vatican. has this really cool sort of um, system to hold them in place almost looks like the carbonite of Han Solo but they keep his head 
um, <laughs> coherent so they can talk. And luckily, they keep his axe fairly close by as well. Well, you know, don't. <laughs> Whenever they transport him about, they just attach it to the front of the block. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so they're going to um, sell them out, uh, but the little bird is trying to come back to save him. And uh, the Sarge actually ends up growing a conscience here and actually lets them go free. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> you're not wrong. Unless this was all part of the plan, I suppose. Um, but yeah, it just gets really weird and really there's a weird the, creepy the, the, and the, the 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 Vatican Pope guy's uh, son yeah. yeah takes off his mask and he has some sort of a they look identical he's some sort of a face thing going on and what, looks what, identical what to that? Little Bird as yeah. if they're one and the same yeah she takes off her goggles and they she has a face thing going on and they have different hair but they look kind of the same I don't know. Well, are they not? Because Little Bird is the guy's daughter, technically. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. It was just it's that whole scene where he takes off his mask and it seems to be kind of gory and yeah. horrible. Yeah. I'm not going to lie, this is probably not made for good podcast listening this last no. two minutes because it's just. <laughs> I think, pretty pictures. I think it's just sheer conveyance <laughs> of how weird this title is. But um, it's an interesting one, this as well, because it's a title that for the time being is not going to be collected into a trade. Yeah. They say they're going to just do comics only. But I would be surprised if that didn't change in a way to find a bigger audience. Because something this weird and different, I think, deserves to be seen by a bigger audience. Um, But the heartbreaking element of this issue is that the axe is killed uh, in a very, very gruesome way. Um, And even even Little Bird is impaled. Yeah. And then it's just. It just ends. Yep. <laughs> so yeah, it's it's a brilliant title though. It's it's mesmerizing. It yeah. just sort of pulls you in. Or it ends with her father stabbing her through the chest. Yeah. yeah. Saying daddy, <laughs> saying go. daddy's got you, yeah. and then going from there. So, uh, um, so yeah, from quite a, a weird out there incoherent title to Grant Morrison to a weird out there incoherent <laughs> writer. <laughs> Green Lantern number seven. Number seven is suitably tamer compared to. Oh, the I really, I really enjoyed number yeah. seven. Um, see some of those layouts yeah oh, it was the, the layouts the you know the fact that the, the text runs across the page mm-hmm. each page very tale-esque yeah each page is there's no uh, um, panels yeah there's no yeah. traditional comic structure at all no, none at all you've totally broken it whatsoever and the text runs across the page there's no text boxes there are speech bubbles but they are minimal but um and you know the 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 background of all of the pages are facets of the the Green Lantern symbol on the ring. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and that's the only structure in the page is a is that shape, the shape of the Green Lantern. Variously, look, we're looking at it in various parts, you know. But it, it tells the story of this city, this doomed city that. Uh, things seem to be going very wrong in and uh, Hal Jordan has found himself in somehow or other uh, we can't figure it out and there's a there's a, a protagonistic character already in this uh, Hal's a side character there's a protagonistic character already here this, this girl uh, and she's been hunted by the overseers of the city and they seem to be in the employ of a, an evil wizard type character um, but the city seems to be dying and running out of energy and um, and uh, it's it's 
it's, it took me two reads to figure out what, what was going on. I read it to the end, figured out what was going on, and then read it again. Um, and you know, Hal suddenly realizes that this city, this city of Emerald Sands. He suddenly realizes that, of course, he's inside his own powering, and it's running out of charge, and the world is dying because the ring is dying, and he's nowhere near a lantern. Uh, you know, and then you flashes to a view outside, and you just see the ring spiraling through space. We could be anywhere in a hundred thousand light years of empty void, and no one knows, and no one can find us. You know, and uh, it's just really fantastic. And then Hal comes up with a plan to. He realizes that the protagonist that he's found inside the ring, the girl, is actually the ring's AI. Uh, pen. Pengonweir is what she's been calling herself but he goes on power ring of course you're my ring and I can't do this without you you know so um, he ends up having to wake up the evil wizard you know and so forth and so on and uh, and eventually uh, gets enough power in the ring through this to send out to go the extra mile to send out a signal um, you know to have the ring transported to a, a lantern and uh, get the get the ring recharged, and Hal was able to be pulled out of the ring, and so forth and so on. Uh, really, really good story. Really good story. Um, yep. Yeah. Very gorgeous. Very good, yeah, and, and, and Liam Sharp as well. Yeah. Just it's a team I could just read forever. Yeah. To be honest, you know, speaking of teams, then you sort of it gives a wee bit more characterization to Hal's ring. It's not just a ring. Because we've got this this AI, AI inside it, yeah, you yeah. know who who's now been given face and given character, you know, and you know, um, you know, we we see this lovely scene where and there's, and there's something that very fairy, as you said, very fairy tale about the whole story, you know, very not a grim fairy tale, but like an old English fairy tale. Yeah, it's kind of yeah. you know like an um, old fashioned yarn type thing. Yeah, definitely yarn, you know, and as a folk tale. Almost. A folk tale, definitely a folk tale, and as Charles as Hal recharges the the ring and the the lantern, we see an image of uh, Penguin or Winnie or whatever you call her, um, and all the various characters that he's met throughout <laughs> the story, you know, and uh, he shouts, "Beware my power!" as he recharges it in the lantern, and then you see him against the background of the the symbol of the the ring, which has been following us all the way through the story, and he kisses the ring and quietly says, "Green lantern's light." <laughs> It's a really, it's a great, a great Grant Morrison story. Very, very good. Very good indeed. A title that just goes from strength to strength, I think. Um, and it's... So different. It's like a series of one-shots. It's another series I mean, of- Morrison always said that. Morrison always said that he wanted it to read like one-shots and that you could pick it up at any issue. Um, I mean, there are narrative strands that fold between the issues, certainly with Hal's undercover work and stuff I like that. I think that's dumb now. But... Yeah, it's it's almost it's it's just old school and pulpy and and just wait till you get the issue eight, which is a team up with Green Arrow. Mm. It's just a real throwback to um, throwback to the golden age with Denny O'Neill and um, Neil Adams on Green Lantern and Green Arrow. So I don't think this is going to last beyond twelve. <laughs> well, I would be happy with it lasting forever, but yeah, yeah I think I think if it lasted to twelve and then they called it quits, I think that would be a good. Well, um, it's Grant I'm Morrison, like Grant Morrison, for more, but. He's never gonna be, yeah. He's never gonna be on something forever. 
Never. Yeah. Never. But I always go back to the same story though of um, Morrison initially jumped on Batman with a six issue arc in mind and stayed on it for six years. Oh yeah, with yeah. Batman R.I.P. So, but it's, not a, it's also not a core Green Lantern story. It's yeah. Too. It's too whimsical. Yeah. I think to be. You know what I mean? It's not. It's because not feeding into the. But I almost think it almost needs that because the new Fifty Two run and the Rebirth run were not big sellers. Mm-hmm. This is a big seller. You know, so but I again would it sustain that yep. if it was more than twelve? So it'll be interesting to see what happens with it. But I would similar to Roddy, I sort of hope it goes on for for quite some time. Yeah, yeah. I'm not saying I don't. I just realistically I don't see. Yeah. It. Yeah. Speaking of going on for quite some time. <laughs> seamless. <laughs> seamless. Perfect. Not Perfect. us talking about comics, uh. but. So we have Heroes in Crisis number nine of nine for the, the originally solicited seven finale. The originally solicited seven-issue miniseries. Um, issue nine, I like to think the quiet after the storm. Um, yeah. Issue eight and nine were very, very strong. Issue eight was um, the who done it, how he did it, which was Wally West. Uh, went into great detail. Uh, issue nine is the fallout from that, and I'm glad it didn't end in the way that Keith had thought it might end which was with Wally West being the new big bad mm-hmm. okay, um, yeah. because originally Wally West was the symbol of rebirth the symbol of hope and you know that hope was corrupted and you know he was ultimately going to become a bad guy but first of all just a massive uh, throw out to Clayman for his glorious double page <laughs> Heroes in Crisis oh, lovely, spreads yeah. yep. I would love to get nine prints of the nine Heroes in Crisis splash pages yep. uh, just put it together this one's in the clouds Bright New Dawn, New Day, again Rebirth you could almost say. Um, so yeah, so this is essentially Wally confronting what he did um, and them trying to figure a way out of it. Uh, so Batgirl turns up along with Booster Gold, along with Blue Beetle, along with Hardy Quinn um, and they're reunited as well with Poison Ivy and a lot of it is, you know, Wally saying like, you know, I have you have to die now you have to you know suffer for what you did but um a lot of this issue is them saying like there are support there's a support network there you know kid you're not alone you know i i did like this little banterous piece here of like so should we arrest him now someone says he's there the fastest man alive you can't arrest him back girl i don't think we're allowed to arrest people <laughs> technically speaking i mean i don't i don't i don't think it's the this is the that as much as it ties everything up this is the tie-up issue mm. you know it's not maybe not the issue after the tie-up but it it tries to make sense of what has happened the previous eight issues yeah i don't know if it does a good job of it i think it does i mean i yeah. i think it i think it leaves I'm you with hope i i think it leaves you with hope i think it leaves you with like it, it's almost linked to daredevil which we were talking about earlier about you know accepting what this life is like as a superhero and the the pitfalls that can come yeah, with it yeah yeah i mean with everything that happens and you know they figure out a way so that they don't have to kill wally for what he's done but he does have to be it's very decent of them <laughs> well you know like there's this great line bros before heroes you know that kind of thing you know it's it's a moment of madness what he did and it was a moment where he cracked but you can tell there's instant regret there with it and that you know not all hope is lost but that doesn't stop Harley Quinn from kneeing him in the balls. Mm-hmm. Um, but one thing I really liked that was a recurring theme through this is because of this whole event, more heroes are opening up. More heroes are being interviewed. Yeah. I see this as the aftermath of all of this. 
Whereas and before, you, so you see the you see the the interview scenes that we see in this. These are after the main right, series. Okay, interesting. So there's yeah, more yeah. people opening up and realizing that support is there and that they need to talk. There's also a great recurring theme through it with all the Robins, <laughs> which started off in a brilliant yeah, way. I must say that was. That was my favorite thing of this yeah. entire series. So the first one to be interviewed, of course, is Tim Drake. And yeah. we always have an ongoing <laughs> chat about Tim and how I think he's like the most boring of them all. So Tim's interviewing, he goes, Dick's the funny, nice one. Jason's the rebellious, cool one. Damien's the cute, mean one. So I get it. I more than get it. But what the hell am I? And then you continue through and you get to, I believe, Dick Grayson's the next one. Jason is the cool, rebellious one. Tim is the dark, smart one. Damien is the cute, dangerous one. Everyone knows, but what the hell am I? <laughs> then it continues through, and you get uh, you then get to um, sorry, I said bypassed Red Hood there. I take Dick's it back. the funny, nice one. Tim's a smart, loyal one. Damien's the obnoxious little one. So what the hell am I? And then it cuts to Damien. He's like, I'm fine. Why? <laughs> what they say? <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I see all these events as this has um, brought the superhero community closer together. They've realised that they do need to talk. They do need to get these issues off their chest. They do have a support network with each other. Um, so I, I do agree. I think this series could have definitely been tighter. I do think six issues probably would have been a better story. I think without some of the. I think once again. Uh, the DC marketing department has gotten the way of Tom King. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that this should near never have been called Heroes in Crisis mm-hmm. because I think to DC fans, whenever you put the word crisis in there, yeah. it means a certain thing. Yeah, uh, it means but to it, Tom King with this, it meant something very different. Yeah, it means uh, universe changing, universe altering, and I think yeah. we have gone into this Thank assuming you. that now there's going to be, and um, it's not that. It's absolutely not no. that. Um, it's a small personal story told yeah, in a, in a it superhero is. It is. canvas. Um, it, it it ran into the same problems as um, a lot of DC stuff has run into. Doomsday Clock has run into, and um, you know where it was originally supposed to be seven issues and two one shots. I mean, it, you know, it, it's it was too long. It yeah, was too long. I'm not. So whenever whenever DC Rebirth became a thing Wally came back as the hope you know mm-hmm. and yes it's interesting to you know if he's the if he's the hope you know what happens whenever the hope has no hope yeah. because his family has been taken off him and so and yeah I can understand the you know but the the, I mean the whole the whole premise of Wally's powers speed force going out of control and killing all these people there's no there's no precedence for that it's never never happened before mm-hmm. there's no it seems to be like kind of well random you know <laughs> and I mean I, I just don't there was what, what was Ivy doing there and it was just it was there was so much I mean I'm hoping like uh, another thing that DC is in the cur- middle of releasing that whenever we read it together it's going to make a lot more sense yeah but to me I feel like Tom King was trying to do a thing and the marketing department got in the way I mean, I think to me, I see Tom King in the interviews. Yeah, I don't necessarily see him in the story in between. That's uh, a really good point. Actually. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and I'm just not sure. I'm just not sure where where it's at. I don't know. I, just, I, I mean, this was supposed to be a a story about post traumatic stress disorder. I don't know if they in ways they delivered it, in other ways they didn't. I don't know. I'm not sure. And the the whole idea of of Wally who as we've talked about I mean I love legacy characters 
I love and Wally's a legacy character mm-hmm. my favourite characters in DC are the legacy characters Nightwing Wally you know all the characters that were killed in this were, de- were legacy characters <laughs> Dan Dio having his yeah. way again yeah. probably you know the idea of Wally Wally losing control of his powers fine even if there's no president for it you know that happening before you know that the, the speed force acting that yeah. way before yeah. but yeah. Just the fact that Wally, this first reaction was to, to use time travel to cover it up. <laughs> I was like, what? Well, that's what Flashes do. They uh, they use time travel. That's what Barry does. <laughs> that's what Barry does. And he learns from Barry. Well, yeah, no. But, so he, but, he, but it was just like that. That I suppose it was a panic thing. Oh, I need, yeah. to, I need to cover this up. But it just didn't seem like Wally to me. Mm-hmm. It didn't seem like Wally, you know. Um, I'm just, I don't, I don't know. I'm not convinced. I'm not convinced yet. I'll read it again. I'll read all nine issues together, and hopefully I'll come together. But I don't. I don't know if this is. I don't know if this is it. Yeah, it's certainly not. It's certainly not the promise of rebirth delivered. Yeah, I don't think it'll be a revered graphic novel to seek out. Really, down mm. the line, I, I think mean, it'll be maybe a flawed. You know, it looks gorgeous. Series, yeah, Clayman's fantastic. Looks gorgeous. Looks gorgeous. Oh, well, that's going to be the team on the Batman Catwoman 12 issue miniseries. Yeah, yeah. Be Clayman on art. That's a different thing, and I think the Batman Catwoman limited series is going to finish off Tom King's art the way it's supposed to be finished off. Yeah. You know, and that's, I'm absolutely fine with that because he's doing fantastically, but that just. Here's a crisis didn't do it for me. Yet. <laughs> Yet. So, from one DC event to another, then, uh, Heroes in Crisis, Keith seems to not be overly satisfied with at this point, but. I don't know anybody who will not be satisfied by this issue. Doomsday Clock, number 10. We should be on about our fifth read-through of the trade by now, but unfortunately, due to the scheduling, uh, we are at issue 10. This continues to be worth the wait for me, anyway. Um, It is a source of constant frustration, but I would rather wait and it be done right than art is compromised or story is rushed or whatever. I think, well, we've talked about it before. I think that whenever you're uh, a major comic company and you're releasing a title that's supposed to be the centerpiece of your year, mm-hmm. that it's the centerpiece you, of the decade. Well, yeah, well, <laughs> that makes it even worse then. <laughs> so, so I'm saying it'll take a decade yeah, to come well, up. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, you plan its release right, you make sure you've got enough done, you know, in the run up to. To make release. sure. Now, yeah. I understand that the I understand that the the artist, what do you call him, Gary Frank, Gary Frank, yeah, is doing his best to emulate the art from Watchmen and so forth and so on. But you know, it's and it's great art. It looks really fantastic. It uh, is stunning. Um, it is. It's to me, it's not day, you know. But what it does mm-hmm. do is it looks an awful lot like the art from Watchmen. Yeah, you know. So maybe that's what's taking him his time as as he's trying to make sure he's got that right. But. Still, I don't think there's an excuse. I think there's there's an element of that where you compare it to something like Die, though. Die is very hyper-stylized. Uh. Doomsday Clock is set in a sort of reality. I mean, I see a page you have open there, which is clearly California, the Grauman's Chinese Theatre, and it be, I think it's harder to do comics that are 100% realistic and mm. make them look as realistic as yeah. something and, like this. And even more so than that, as I say, he is trying to copy... Oh, 100%. Dave, Dave Gibbons' style, you know. Yeah, um, 100%. They, they want it to be a perfect companion piece. and I mean, this this is the first... Not necessarily the first issue, I would say, that reminds me of the original Watchmen run, but this is definitely the closest mm. to it, I think. 
this is essentially the issue four of Watchmen, which is all from John's point of view. Yeah. And it becomes Doctor Manhattan's origin story in the original yeah. Watchmen run. But and this is Doctor Manhattan's origin story in the DC universe. Hundred um, percent. Yeah. This is. I think this is the issue we've sort of been waiting for in terms of revealing some answers that were set up in Rebirth issue one. Um, you know, we've always been wondering why did Manhattan come to the DC universe? Uh, what's he been doing all this time? What was his goals? Um, so we're finally starting to get some answers to that. Um, and it it has taken a while to get to this stage, I will say. In that <laughs> understatement of the century. Well, I don't think it's taken... I, I need to rephrase that a little bit. I, I have had no problem with Pace of Doomsday Clock. I think it, they've been... It's been a beautiful series so far. I've enjoyed every issue. I've looked forward to the following issue. But when this was first um, scheduled and put on the previews books and people were trying to draw attention for it, it was essentially billed as Dr. Manhattan versus Superman. Mm. Finally, at the end of issue 10, we might be starting to get that. You know, and I mean, for me, more than, more than it being billed, more than it being Dr. Manhattan versus Superman, it's the fact that it's supposed to be I guess the culmination or at least an, a significant point or an explanation for Rebirth mm -hmm. you know that the last reboot of yeah. the DC Universe so and I mean uh, to me now reading this and I, I'm, I'm pretty sure it'll probably make more sense in the context of a, of a read right the way through the 12 issues yeah. unless of course DC decides in two months time to make a 13 issues uh, or 14 issues <laughs> so many times uh, <laughs> this is just ridiculous right. I mean, do you know what the worst part is he's doing this because he knows the titles that are lined up Marvel wise I have nothing bad to say about it <laughs> it's not even that it was it's, it's, it's the you know um, so I guess I'm, I'm jabbing on the fact that Heroes know, and Crisis went from yeah. 7 to 9 The Night um, of the Dark There's rumours with the Batman deceased who laughs. It's going to go a bit longer yeah. Batman who laughs. Yeah, okay, so. I agree but I think this one's sacrosanct In that Watchmen was 12 This will be 12 yeah, We can't wait to, yeah. we, can't, also, we can't afford to wait those things just, for a you know, I was in my 20s when this series started yeah. you know, I, mean, yeah, I was in my 30s I'm nearly 40 now I think was, I was in my 20s as well But it, it's also unfair In a way Like I completely Yes we can slag them off all day Took them so long to get it done But that has Hampered your reading Big yeah. it's, I don't know Sometimes it's not necessarily fair to go. This isn't telling a complete story because it's been like three months since issue. Yeah, nine. I mean nine to ten was which is on it's on half. Like, so it's unfair, but at the same time, it is their fault. So well, that's it. I mean, it's they know what the comic medium is like. You know, this is a company that's been yeah. doing it for you know eighty years. So it, that is the frustration, and it's always impossible to shy away from that with each new issue yeah. because. It's not even like we continue getting explanations why it takes its time, mm. other than we want to get it right. Yeah. But, mm. again, I, yeah. anyway, we'll probably mention it every time we speak about Doomsday Clock. But anyway, uh, yeah, as Keith said, this is very much the, uh, the, I suppose, the origin of Dr. Manhattan in the DC Universe. And, again, we were talking about this a little bit just before we started recording, and that um, this character that sort of becomes John's constant at the start of the story... This uh, movie actor, he was in. I can't remember what issue number he was in. Yeah. But there was there was a period before where there was parts from this noir story, and you know, as Keith rightly said, this is sort of the um, the companion piece almost to 
um, the Black Freighter, which mm-hmm. was yeah. the pirate yeah. story in Watchmen. I mean, it's interesting because I see what you're saying, but there's three threads running through this. Mm-hmm. There is the black and white movie that, in which he is acting yeah, and playing the, the character. Nathaniel Dustin. Yeah, exactly. And then there's the, the actor's life, you know, as he meets Dr. Manhattan and Dr. Yeah. Manhattan moves through the, his lifetime. Mm-hmm. And then there's Dr. Manhattan's story. Yeah. So there's three threads here. You know, and yeah. it's, it's and the same as and the same as the original Watchmen. You're looking at how how does the Black Freighter link to the story? That's you know, or what yeah. what are the inferences from that? You know, so and this this issue really hit it home for me. That was the one that I loved. Yep, actually, um, because with Doomsday Clock, it's not doesn't always go to the top of the pile for me, and I kind of feel there's sort of. Um, like a, it's almost a burden to read it. It's like, oh, I've got to get through this thing. But when I read it, I'm like, oh god. Yeah. Do, do you I think really part like of that is to cut down the distance between this issue and the next <laughs> yeah. issue? So I'll leave it to last. It <laughs> you know, if, it, if I wait a week to read it, that's a week closer yeah. to the next yeah. issue. Well, you know what we're like. Sometimes we don't get to it for two or three weeks. Yeah. I mean, I would, um, I would, I mean, for all the, the slagging, which is sort of. It's tongue in cheek, you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah. This issue was great. Yeah, uh, I really enjoyed it. Um, it. It took a couple of took a couple of reads. It'll stand up to another read, but I think yeah. the next time I'll read it will probably be in the context of the entire story. The entire trip. Um, there were the the one thing that I did think after I read it the first time was Doomsday Clock should have been a one shot and it should have been this issue <laughs> 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 because. Because we whenever, should be recording this for video for my reaction. Because well, whenever you mean it shouldn't have been linked, it shouldn't have been Doomsday Clock. It shouldn't have really been Watchmen. It should have just been Doctor Manhattan from Watchmen coming to DC. It shouldn't be. That's a clunky title. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'll never write for them <laughs> with that but, but you know what I mean. I, yeah, I can't I, see. I, I can't see. No, reading this, I was like, well, why did we spend that time with like Batman and and. Uh, uh, Rorschach, Rorschach, and why did we spend that time with? Uh, but again, it's uh, again, it is hard yeah. to call them. Uh, it is hard to judge this as a whole until we get those last yeah, two issues. Yeah. You know, there. I do agree with you. There has to be answers there. There has to be a reason that this, you know, yeah. justified a twelve issue story rather than an eighty page giant one shot. Yeah. Yep. Um, but yeah, I mean this this issue just reminded me of Watchmen so much. I mean, I. You know, Alan Moore will never listen to this podcast, so that's fine. But this felt like Alan Moore writing to me. I did, know, and that's the biggest compliment I can give Jeff Johns on it. And parts of it are parts of it are seamless because you know we have the we have Doctor Manhattan going. It's August nineteen fifty nine. I'm you know I'm on Mars or the latest date, whatever. Yeah, you know what I mean. And he actually moved between the two. T- he he moves between the original Watchmen timeline. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know where he's you know he's he's on Mars or whatever it was and uh, he's he's brought uh, Silk Spectre there yeah. and he's forgotten to the cheek can't yeah, breathe on the he, planet he, you know, so he's moving he's moving between that yeah. timeline and this one and, all, and the various times within both those timelines so he's crossing yeah. those seamlessly you know yeah. and is within well that's his, it he even says there you know I enter the multiverse mm-hmm. <laughs> you know um, and then so we I mean right we, we up until now We've been thinking about it literally. Yeah. yeah li- liter- literally, is that a 
Literally? No, li- literally. In a, in Lin- a, li- linearly. In a linear fashion. Linearly. Linearly. In a linear fashion. Yes. In a linear fashion. Thank you very much, Ronnie. I made up for my per, per clunky title there. That could have been divisive. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, uh, divisive, I believe. <laughs> but, uh, so well, you know, I mean, we've been thinking in terms of, you know, yeah, Watchmen, this is one linear Watchmen and then, yeah. you know, Watchmen and then... This is the, the sequel. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Whereas what Dr. Manhattan's doing here is he's moving freely between... Through the, the entire DC yeah, universe, exactly. essentially. Yeah. And the Watchmen universe. Yeah. Of course, and it's interesting that it even shows him as, you know, the supreme intellect in the universe, but even there's a line here, you know, the people in this world are different. Are, are different. I wonder if that is why I'm drawn here. Mm-hmm. I am confused for the first time. You know, and... and, and, and and then he's also got that situation where, for whatever reason, he cannot see the future. Yeah. In our yeah. In, sorry, in our in the yeah. DC the last thing he sees is you know obviously Superman's fist coming towards yeah. his head, and then after that, it's sort of uh, you know, blurry. And yeah, and even at the start, and sorry, in the earliest time period in which he is in the DC universe in 1938, he he tries a simple exercise to look three minutes into the future, and he's not able to do so. Yeah. You know, and so he uses this man, this uh, actor. Uh, to to try and understand yeah, Carver the DC, Coleman yeah. the DC universe and the people in the DC universe I wonder if Carver Coleman is a slight nod to Marvel you know the way so many of Marvel's characters are CC, yeah. PP CC yeah. you know RR um, Carver yeah. Coleman obviously CC I don't know and there's some really lovely moments um, so we see the aftermath of the original Superman the Action Comics cover yeah. where Superman lifts the car and the policeman's like so we all we ever see is that moment with superman's lifting the car you know yeah and uh the, the policeman's interviewing people going a man did this he was wearing a wrestling outfit and a cape he lifted that car <laughs> like it was a crate of apples you know uh very he leapt over that building way over there <laughs> he had a smile on his face as well yeah little dig at zack snyder there you know and smiling that, superman and uh <laughs> you know dr manhattan is there watching that pivotal moment you know as if it's and I, and I love that that it actually looks like Superman senses him as well so you've got this page um, you've got this page where he's looking at um, Superman lifting the car you know so you're seeing that very yeah. classic image from a different angle but then Superman sort of turns around and looks mm-hmm. and then you see a blank space yes uh-huh. and, you know it's like he was the first of the costume here so it's almost interesting that Superman may have sensed him there as oh, well or that Superman did because this is a different Superman yeah. than than the Superman Superman we've come to we've come to know after yeah. Crisis of Infinite Earths and 52 and New 52 yeah. and, you know all of that you know good stuff so so yeah I guess I mean it's hard to really talk about what happens because it jumps back and forth but uh, Dr. Manhattan realises that he can you know, in jumping through time, he can manipulate this world. Uh, I it, it theorized that parallel worlds were endlessly created, flowing out of the branches of the tree. The heroes on this earth call it the multiverse. Yeah. So obviously, in the world he's come from, that's not the case. Yeah. You know, and this world, and this world, meaning DC Earth, was its center. Yeah. This world was introduced to Superman on April eighteenth, nineteen thirty-eight, which of course was the reality of when the book was released. Yeah. Uh, you know, and he realizes that Superman is the center of this multiverse and it changes around him yeah so you know and, and around these costume heroes so he starts with little experiments like you know with the with the original justice society, society you know JSA. And, yeah three of my favorite dc characters on the same page oh who's that oh dr fate i was gonna say can we guess nah dr fate <laughs> uh sandman original sandman and the specter oh wow i knew the specter was gonna be one yeah <laughs> 
who is Al Pratt? Is he? He's the Adam, is he? Oh, in October, oh, frustrated yeah. by his size. Yeah, I'd yeah. imagine. Yeah, okay, cool. Um, so yeah, it kind of it kind of goes through through that, and he, he watches Superman, and he watches Superman through his various uh, his various origins. Yeah, you know, and he watches as his you know his arrival. You know, in the the original nineteen, you know, his, his original origin, and then he watches his his post crisis origin. Yeah. and his I mean, that's it. There's three great panels there. You know, this is where it always begins. You've got the Kent mailbox in 1956. Superman is seen in Metropolis for the first time. Twenty five years earlier, the winds change on a farm in Kansas. Jonathan Martha can't find the orphan boy. It's October 1986. His arrival on Earth has shifted forward again. His arrival changes again and, and again. again. And did you notice in that last panel again? Uh, he's using Jor-El's words as you will in the yeah, as in the Superman movie. I thought that was a yeah. lovely touch. That. You were free to move among them, uh, among, move I mean, among that, people that, of Earth, but never forget. Although you look like one of them, you are not one of them. That that just <laughs> continues the whole idea of the metaverse because yeah. that right there is actually sampling a movie. Yes, yeah. exactly. You yeah. know, uh-huh. so uh, you can almost read that in Marlon Brando's. Yeah, voice. that gave me that gave me chills when I sort of saw that. So um and then yeah it just goes through and then it's the same here this is actually man of steel on the next page the page after the um marlon brando words so you've got here this is man of steel here it's like clark i don't want to be different yeah i just want to be your son clark you are my son that's the kevin costner saying that is man it. Of steel. Uh-huh. um and then i just love that the next panel is i don't understand this universe <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's um, a, it's really so. It's really that it's really interesting and Doctor Manhattan doing his Doctor Manhattan thing. Yeah, uh, very 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 cool. And later on, we see the the new Fifty Two Superman and the the young uh, Superman with a funky costume. Who? Yeah, that's um, that's new Fifty Two Superman. So it is because um, you know, they've got rid of the red. Uh, they've got rid of the red underwear. So but in that action comics was in that that's the same universe, isn't it? Yeah. And so. In Superman, in the new Fifty Two, um, Superman was dressed very much like, you know, the all blue suit, you yeah, know, without the yeah. red pants. But Grant Morrison did a run in the new Fifty Two, which was Superman essentially in a t-shirt. In his origin, yeah, he was yeah. wearing jeans and boots, and yeah, that's yeah. right. Um, and then what's interesting then is the next couple of panels on page twenty-five, which, as we said off off uh, Mike, that's the first time we see rebirth. rebirth. Yeah, you know, we see the the scene in Rebirth where. Wally is coming back you know yeah, what I mean he's in Speed Force and he's saying I know what you did um, how many years later is this from that 80 page DC, giant that 80 page giant that was it the 80 page DC, giant DC, DC so Re- DC Rebirth launched 2016 so we're three years later that's not too bad yeah. So, so yeah so uh, Wally was obviously uh, aware of Dr. Manhattan and what yeah. he was doing because at this point he was he was changing the universe uh, so so yeah, I guess uh, Doctor Manhattan removes Superman from various points, and uh, as I remove the linchpin of the Justice Society of America, I change Superman once again. I watch as my take on this universe sharpens into reality. Superman is sent to Earth as a child, uh, you know, and then we see just as you said the Grant Morrison action comics, the later Superman and yeah. the and the the all blue costume, which is of course the the new 52 yeah yeah uh, and then segues into rebirth where wally is trapped in the speed force realizes dr manhattan is the one that has 
caused this with yeah. his tinkering, you know. Um, I mean, that's even great stuff that shows that the new 52 Superman is almost an extension of Dr. Manhattan, where he's saying, like, you know, without his parents or the Legion, Clark grows more distant from humanity. I understand him better. I relate to him more. Yeah. So it's almost like he is the new 52 version. He's modeled that Superman on himself. Um, yeah, so, I mean, I think that, that I thought that was... That's the key. That's the key to do. It. That's what I was expecting from Doomsday Clock. Yeah. That page does everything I wanted Doomsday Clock to do. Yeah, I you know, gotcha. yeah. Um, as relates to to DC Rebirth, you know, um, and Wally, and I think, I think Wally being such a major character in Heroes in Crisis sort of has confused that for me a wee bit, yeah. you know. But yeah, then the I other think... thing. Sorry, Roddy. No, I was just gonna say. Um, I think we were speculating when we weren't too sure whether Heroes in Crisis was going to cross over or at least give us a hint of something but I think the word crisis made potentially fans yeah, and people just assume them. it was yeah. going to cross over but I don't think it will no I don't think end. it has yeah, yeah I don't think it yeah or, or it will so unless they do Heroes in Crisis 10 <laughs> yeah maybe but so yeah it's it's really interesting you know and, and, and what they're doing here you know so and, and inevitably this is going to bring him up against the Superman that he has in some ways created yeah mm-hmm. you know uh, yeah. yeah I mean that last page is just stunning it's just a proper countdown I think the last page it's May 1971 I've ended the war in Vietnam I watched Blake shoot a woman and do nothing obviously from Watchmen pardon me it's April 1938 I use a man named Carver Coleman to help me find balance in the metaverse 16 years I watch his mother bludge him to death I do nothing it's November 1st obviously end of Watchmen Adrian kills millions to unite the world. On November 2nd, I allow Adrian to walk free. I am a being of an action, on a collision course with a man of action. To this universe of hope, I have become the villain that Superman wakes up. Um, yeah. is, this, is this doing exactly what um, Alan Moore would hate it to do and stitching both universes together so that so that the Watchmen universe <laughs> yeah, will become I a mean, part of the reality of the DC universe? To a degree, but at the same time when Alan Moore wrote Watchmen, he wanted to use the DC characters and DC at the time wouldn't let him. So he went back to the old Charlton comics and took characters yeah. from it. Mm-hmm. So I said, and then initially Night Owl was going to be Batman, you know, for example. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, so in a sense, Jeff John's maybe getting to do something Alamar wanted to do but couldn't do yeah. um, to a degree so um, but yeah this this issue is everything I wanted it to be as you say it, it has been a long time getting here release scheduling it being issue 10 that kind of thing but now I've loved this series and you know fast forward the next couple of months give me the last two issues and let me read the whole thing together yeah, yeah I well, think so how do most people read Watchmen as a as, as a, a trip yeah, yeah exactly yeah I read it at least once a year. Yeah, there's certain titles that I read once a year without fail. Watchmen is one of them. Uh, Dark Knight Returns is one of them. Um, Court of Owls actually is one of them as well. But will, yeah, will Doomsday Clock be one of them? See if it that's continues the quality that's had. I think it will be, and I think it would be a case of read Watchmen and then read this straight after, and then get that flow. Um, yeah, loved it. And again, I go back to it. Although it's a problem of the company in terms of scheduling, how they release them, blah blah blah, I would rather wait and it be done right than it be rushed. And you know, because the book's beautiful, you know, the nine panel structure—they break it up every so often, you know, with widescreen panels at the bottom of the page, or like that last page I detailed was actually broken down into sixteen panels, or sorry, no, into twelve panels. Beg your pardon. Um, yeah, I just 
I can't say enough good stuff about the book, but yeah, they really fumbled the releasing of it. I have to say. Do you think they're? Uh, do you think they're working up to another reboot at the end of this? I have a bad feeling. Yes, uh, between this ending this year, <laughs> fingers crossed. Um, Tom King going off Batman, the reversion back to Flash and Batman and Justice League two monthly titles. They have they have said that they want to re- uh, link the titles together a little bit more as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I do have a feeling we are. I hope we're not, but I think we are. Yeah. Um, that conversation has led me to enjoy this book more. This, this particular <laughs> issue. <laughs> we find that a lot with yeah. this uh, yeah, yeah, when yeah. we actually start yeah. talking about it. Mr. Miracle, the podcast was the same. Yeah, I think yeah. everyone actually ended it in a more positive note than they yeah, started. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I mean, like, oh, yeah. as weird as it sounds, and this would never be admitted, but I wonder if this is why the release of this has been staggered. They released it too early. Certain writers weren't finished with what they were doing. And the end of Doomsday Clock is going to be the end of this Rebirth universe. Mm. You know, But you would almost think there would be like... Doomsday Clock tie-ins if that was going to be the I case I don't think like, so though but know? as bad as the release scheduling has been I think with Doomsday Clock it seems a very sacred title it seems well, yeah, it's going yeah. to be 12 issues it's going to be cardstock covers it's going to be supplementary material at the back of the issue it's it's going to be Gary Franks doing everything because he does all the variant covers as well Yeah. so it yeah. seems very sacred like they don't want to mess with it in any way other than how they're releasing it uh, yeah. Doomsday Clock yeah. Strike Force yeah and I wonder has that been has that been uh, like publisher interference or is that yeah. you know what I mean um, that's what I mean that's my yeah. worry that that's what it's been that they want the end of this to coincide with the end of Tom Keane's Batman with the end of Joshua Williamson's Flash mm. um Right. Where's Bendis figure into all this, given that he only started Superman in action comics? Are they going to put Bendis onto the main Batman title? Yeah, so... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure I have something else to say about Doomsday Clock. Can't remember what it was, but... <laughs> we'll get halfway through another title and it'll come I'm up. I'm quite sure it was um, life-changing. <laughs> well, I'll just you throw this... changing <laughs> I'll just Universal throw this story. one out um, quickly. Um, it, it doesn't quite warrant the same depth of conversation, but... What do we got? we got Detective Comics 1004 um, I jumped back on the Detective Comics after 1000 I know Keith did yep. the same uh-huh. um, I would say a lot of people in the store have pre-1000 we had maybe 12 people with Detective on their pull list post-1000 we have 25 so people have jumped back mm-hmm. on yep. Tomasi's telling a good story you've got the curiosity of the Arkham Knight obviously in relation to the video game just goes to show you the value of a landmark issue doesn't it? it does you know, you know? Interesting. As much as we take the piss, it does yeah, get I mean, attention. I mean, do you get that with a new number one if you re- reboot? Yeah. They did say they were. The 1000 wasn't just, oh, here's like a 1000. It was, yeah. here's a new story. Here's arc. the first part of, yeah. A new but story. I assume, I assume uh, yeah, 1000 helped, obviously, but it yeah. was the fact they had Arkham yeah. Knight at the mm-hmm. end. That's it, yeah. Well, quick spoiler warning, as we always spoil on the reviews anyway. So, um, not maliciously. The <laughs> Keith's had some bad news today with a spoiler. Um, yeah, I mean, they revealed that it was Astrid Arkham, who is the Arkham Knight, um, daughter of um, Amadeus Arkham. So, this issue is essentially her origin, and it's almost told in a very fairy tale esque mm. fairy tale esque way. Um, there's a part where like Amadeus. A fable. 
Mm. Like almost like a fable. That's that's good. That's good. <laughs> we'll get to that down the road. Um, but yeah, the um, Amadeus brings Batman and Robin this scroll, and it, they're all drawings that Astrid has drawn throughout her life. You know, Damien notes very quickly drawings get better with each turn of the scroll. So obviously, she's getting older. And then it jumps into almost a fairy tale esque manner where you know it goes into Amadeus and his wife. Uh, who he gets pregnant there working in Arkham Asylum they're trying to um, improve all the patients all that kind of stuff and she ends up pregnant uh, but this happens during a prison escape but what's interesting here is that because Amadeus and his wife have been really kind to all of the inmates like you actually see a softer side of some of the villains um, they protect her when she's out like she's having the kid in the middle of this big breakout and they actually protect her um, he's one of their own in a way essentially yeah I mean they, they live on the premises you know they're there 24-7 that kind of thing you know Poison Ivy's there looking very maternal and then out of nowhere a batarang kills his wife so Astra grows up essentially blaming Batman for this um, thinking, she dies effectively during childbirth does she? yeah well that's yeah. it so you know the baby's born she's holding uh, Astra and then out of nowhere a little batarang um, hits her in the jugular so they're all absolutely all, all the villains go nuts and you know they start searching around but they also get very sad and they all you see this little panel you don't see this often with um you know villains in a comic book i think but they all look actually depressed at you know what amadeus has lost but uh the more you go through it astrid then grows up on the premises of arkham she like has daily visits with a joker who reads stories so, with her <laughs> It's clearly a father that's not paying attention. Well, I mean, she calls him Uncle Joker. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that was always going to end well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's like, oh, so you want to be a princess? And he's like, no, silly. I want to be a knight. I want to protect the castle and the kingdom. And it's like, this is not the kind of stuff Joker normally gets into. But Astrid, as she grows older, she ends up seeing surveillance footage of the. Um, the fight and of Batman being there and then obviously the Batarang ended up in his in her mother's neck so she then starts training and is going to take revenge on Batman it, it's a deceptively simple tale but I did actually like that little uh, note Keith just made of there is maybe a bit a few more levels to this you know mm. talking about a neglectful father and yeah. you know that's why she's you know become this way so um yeah I I've really dug this arc I have to say I think it ends with the next issue 1005 mm -hmm. But it's been a it's been a good Batman story, well told. No yep. more than that, no less than that. So, do you think she will be a villain for long, or is there going to be like a, a turn with her? Is she gonna? I don't know. I think if you've grown up your entire life believing one thing, if someone says it's nonsense, you don't just instantly believe it. Otherwise, you know, because mm -hmm. what had actually happened, I should have said during that breakout, there were one or two loose batarangs around Arkham. It yeah, was one well, of the it was one of the bad guys through it. It wasn't Batman, but obviously trying to frame Batman, possibly. Yeah, exactly. Or, so um, there's a there's a there's definitely you know with the the order of the light or whatever they call the the, the group of knights that she yeah. leads, you know, and you know there's a she's trying to recruit Robin as yeah, well. Yeah, there's a religious overtone to what it is they're doing, and there's definitely a sniff of fundamentalist about her. Mm -hmm. You know, as as Alan says, you know she's believed a certain thing for her whole life. Uh, you know that's effectively. She's brainwashed herself, you know what yeah. I mean? She's conditioned herself to believe this thing. So, I mean, how likely is it that a, that a, a sensible conversation is going to shift that or, conditioning? Or, you know, <laughs> Batman shows her video footage showing that a, an inmate through it, she would just be like, 
you obviously fabricated yeah, that you know exactly yeah. you know in this modern world that kind that's of thing it, so, that's it, so um but yeah that that pretty much brings it into all the the dc stuff we're going to finish off with a spidey corner <laughs> yep we, we are indeed, indeed and there's been mm-hmm. some quality stuff um, there has i'll let keith take it away on this so uh we're going to kick off with the finish of uh nick spencer's uh six plus part i mean the core the core was was six parts uh and then we had the uh the hunted issues and then issue 23 is going to be an epilogue epilogue so 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 this is the finish of the finish of hunted um which i guess is kind of a spiritual sequel to craven's last hunt as it turns out uh the story has been that uh craven the hunter, uh, now uh, an older man, I guess. But Craven has always seemed like an older man. The potions and herbs have obviously slowed down his aging because uh, he, you know, he uh, he <laughs> he moved to America whenever you know the czars fell in Russia and the you know the communist regime took over. You know, but uh, so he's pretty old. But uh, he's captured all of the uh, the the animal themed villains. Uh, and uh, some of some some other individuals uh, into Central Park teamed up with Arcade. Arcade has put a massive force field over Central Park. Uh, uh, Craven has created these drones, these drone robots, like avatars. Yeah, like and uh, these big game hunters. You know these rich pricks who like to go to the Serengeti and hunt defenseless animals have yeah. uh, paid vast amounts of money to log into these robots and hunt these animal themed villains you know thinking of course that they are completely they can't be hurt until it becomes clear that there's a feedback mechanism and they cannot get out and they can be killed (laughs) uh you know which is a bit of a twist uh spider-man sorry uh lizards dr kurt connor's son billy uh he's a little lizard himself and black cat um peter's former love uh, have been captured so Peter and Kurt Connors have uh, made their way into the force field been allowed in um, and uh, have been captured and so issue 5 or part 5 uh, ended with the lizard had a had a chip in his neck that, inhibitor chip, an inhibitor chip yeah. that had controlled his violence because in his recent past he killed his, his own son uh, the Billy that we know now is, is a clone from a previous story um, Spider-Man and loves his clones oh absolutely <laughs> so anyway Spider-Man makes the decision uh, finally uh, with Kurt's Kurt Connors um, permission to potentially kill Kurt by removing the chip from his neck in order that Kurt can escape from the, the prison they're in and, and he does so so um, so we're, we're seeing this against the backdrop of Craven's uh, last remaining child uh, again a clone taken on about to to end Black Cat and Billy's lives Uh, Lizard Kurt Connors uh, rushes in and brutally saves them Um, meanwhile uh, the other faction we've got two other factions we've got the faction of hunters and the drones and we've got the faction led by Vulture of villains who have now organised and there's a twist there because Arcade has given Vulture a device that the more of the drones that the hunters that they defeat the less part of the hunters will be fed by arcade so they'll become less and less um effective and more easy but it, it'll require sacrifice on the part of the villains mm-hmm. uh, to do so so anyway uh spider-man is uh, released and of course this is craven's uh, moment you know because he's caused spider-man to to make some to make some decisions you know the decision that 
the decision that uh, Spider-Man made to remove that chip from Kurt Connors' neck, uh, potentially, uh, and Kurt Connors then as the lizard, he escapes, he mows down a lot of the guards, you know, which Spider-Man is now responsible for, you know, and all of this sort of stuff. Uh, Craven faces Spider-Man with this choice. Uh, Spider-Man, of course, didn't mean this to happen, you know, and and uh, you know what 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 Craven has shown Spider-Man is that he, in fact, he's the hunter himself. He made the sacrifice. He made the decision. Uh, in order to get his what he needed you know what I mean and so forth and so on and uh, so it's that real that constant battle of uh, of wits and of uh, personalities and will that, that Spider-Man and the Hunter have, have always had is really encapsulated here it's fantastic um, but yeah it goes on without without going through the, the whole book uh, word by word <laughs> you know it really it really was a fantastic culmination to to the, this fantastic to the, series, to fantastic miniseries. Really, yeah, I've really, really enjoyed this, uh, and we're, we really see the core of the hunter. Like we haven't seen him since since the last hunt. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? The the person who he is, and you know, obviously the last. You know, Craven ended up blowing his own head off. You know, back then, back in you know at that you know, and uh, and I guess then Spider Man. You know, realizes a few things and talks them around, and uh, but yeah, just it really is. It really is a fantastic, fantastic issue. Uh, meanwhile, we've got Vulture apparently leading over all the villains to victory. I don't know if that's going to have a knock-on effect. If, if Vulture's going to rise to the going for a rise to the top there, um, you know. But eventually, Craven Craven comes around to what he knows to be his own his fate, his fate that was decreed for him uh, that no longer. You know, he says, but remember, my fate is no longer my own. The curse of Craven still holds. Only the spider can kill me. Uh, you know, you know, Craven has intimated that and has shown Spider-Man visions through his potions that Mary Jane's in danger. So all Spider-Man wants to do is get out of the force field, you know, knowing that Billy is now safe and Black Cat is now safe to go to Mary Jane. And uh, Spider-Man dashes off. Um, Craven moves towards a, a coffin. Uh, and in that, uh, well, we don't we don't know yet what's in that coffin, and uh, it's very ceremonial, you know. And mm-hmm. uh, and then Craven's son, uh, the, the the remaining the remaining clone, uh, the last of the last of Craven's children, uh, as Spider Man's running away, jumps out on him, bloodied, beaten, uh, and uh, takes him down. Rugby tackles. There ensues a fantastic, a fantastic battle. And uh, the uh, the son uh, chokes Spider Man to death, uh, and then we see a shot of the coffin that Craven was looking into, and we see the black costume. And then young Craven realizes what he's done as he tears off the spider mask. He finds Craven, his father, beneath. You know, and uh, we have the classic no. <laughs> you know. And in that way, and in that way, and wearing the Spider-Man costume, Craven has fulfilled the curse. Yeah, that the spider can kill. The spider can kill. Him. Uh, beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. So, uh, really, really, really good. Really enjoyed that series, and that's another one that I'm going to enjoy reading. Yeah, right through and again. Do you think but, that's the end of the Black 
for Spider-Man? The black costume? Yeah. Well, this isn't the black. Should we should be clear? Well, that this yeah, isn't yeah, the symbiote yeah. costume. Sorry, yeah. It's the black costume that Spider Spider-Man wore after that. Um, um, yeah, I'd say I'd say the black costume was key to Craven's last hunt. Yeah. So yeah. whenever Spider-Man gets out here, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm really looking forward to seeing what's going to happen in Spider-Man, but. Uh, Obviously, we're left in a really interesting situation where Craven the Hunter is dead, but we're left with his yes. younger, more virile, more more aggressive son, mm-hmm. uh, who will obviously take off Craven's mantle. Yeah, uh, we're left potentially with a vulture, you know, as a as a kingpin style character in charge of a lot of villains, a uh, crime lord of some of some description. Um, a lot of animals running around New York. Yeah, 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 yeah. So oh, I'm really interested in, in seeing and seeing where it's where it's going to go after this. But this say, was. Um, Otley and Ryan Otley and Humberto Ramos they share they've shared duties on they this have, yeah. yeah well sorry the entire series mm-hmm. but uh, absolutely stunning yeah. really and stunning what's more book. is it's a six part series I don't know I was taking the piss out of series that have extra titles <laughs> but I think you'd agree that the .hu titles the titles that fell but the three titles I believe yeah, yeah so I mean you .hu Black Cat Lizard Vulture isn't there is Vulture and, and then of course the tragic Gibbon Gibbon yeah, yeah that was a really powerful one um, which we talked about I think in the last, so yeah. even those were, were worth grabbing so I'd say I, I like to hope whenever this is traded yeah. that, that the .hu issues will be in there yeah, yeah so, it should be so well well picking up if you can get the singles and uh, definitely you know if, if you can grab it and trade yeah. I would highly recommend grabbing this I'll be a big event trade of the year I yeah think. I would say this will go down as, as, a, as a fairly classic spider, spidey story um, from certainly the yeah, I think yeah, I'm inclined to agree because yeah. I didn't um, didn't even really think about the um, rich hunters you were talking about. Mm. I didn't think about the real world parallels to yeah. the kind of social commentary. Yeah, there's a wee bit of that. I didn't really there. even think about it, but then the, when you the, when you said it there, I was like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah that's so, so obvious. Yeah, <laughs> so kind of cool. Um, Alan, you want to grab the next? Oh no, I, I'm saving myself he, for the last he one. Has to do it all. <laughs> Thank so it's a, it's a, we should say it's a trinity of Spider-Man books we're talking about. Amazing being the first, the next one, Spider-Man Life Story, Mr. Sadarsky. And Mr. Bagley. And Mr. Mark Bagley. And then there'll be a, a third one, which I'm, I will talk about if I can get through yeah, without oh, crying. Absolutely. So, Spider-Man Life Story, number three, uh, the 80s. So, Spider-Man Life Story, the one took, one and took place in the 60s, two in the 70s, and three in the 80s. The central conceit of uh, Life Story, which we've spoken about before, is that they're removing the concept, Zdarsky is removing the concept of elastic time from Spider-Man's life uh, and telling this this self-contained story of uh, a, a Spider-Man superhero who, who gets older. Yeah, a 15-year-old boy who was bitten in 1962 by a radioactive spider and given the proportional strength, speed and agility of a spider and became a crime fighter called Spider-Man in 1962. So he's 15 in 1962. Mm-hmm. In 1972, he's 25. In 1982, he's 35. And in 1984, where this story starts, he's 37, which is probably as old as we have ever seen Spider-Man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but what they're doing is they're, they're really hitting the, the critical beats in those decades of Spider-Man's life so uh, you know in the first issue we covered the Vietnam War we covered Flash going off to the Vietnam War we saw something a wee bit different in that we saw Iron Man and Cap taking sort of slightly different sides in the Vietnam, Vietnam War yeah. and I think that's going to come well, back to nothing, us nothing new about that well I it? think it's going to come back to us in one of the last few issues maybe you mm-hmm. know maybe mm-hmm. that's going to be the core of Civil War Yeah, you know um, in the 70s 
we looked at the original clone saga not the clone saga that we know from the 90s mm-hmm. but the original clone saga where Miles Warren clones War, again this was well this is where the clone originally came from when it was the 70s uh, you know so Peter discovered that Miles Warren had cloned Norman Osborn Gwen Stacy and Peter himself uh, Harry Osborn burned Warren's lab to the ground Peter tried to save the clones but only his own survived and when Warren revealed that the woman Peter thought was his wife Gwen Stacy was a clone and the Gwen he first fell in love with had been lost in the explosion Pete fell to pieces at the end of issue 2 so uh, issue 3 picks up in the 80s and it's great Mark Bagley's is fantastic I love his art I've loved his art since Thunderbolts and even before and I think he's doing a great job of showing the change through clothing and hairstyles and things mm-hmm. through the 60s and 70s and 80s right now age as well reminds me of actually it reminds me you'll probably dislike me for this he kind of reminds me of uh, Gary Frank a wee bit Do you think? but in a more Marvel style yeah there's more obviously he didn't do the colours but the colours pop a bit more you've got a lot of clean is that because the lines, first page is a nine panel nine structure, structure yeah. that kind of helps yeah yeah but there's, it's, a, well, there's a lot of story he to sort of picks this. up the style whatever decade yes, it's in yeah. it sort of changes I see what you mean I see what you mean absolutely uh, colour artist in this is Frank Darmada uh, so the first the, 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 the first thing that struck me with this and we knew about it last issue because there's a lot of things have changed uh, because of the time change yeah, last issue yeah. we realised that Dr Octopus isn't the villain anymore he's realised in the time that he's had that you know he's not and so he's now working like he was at that time in the 70s working alongside Peter and mm-hmm. Reed Richards <clears throat> and Reed Richards was older because obviously Reed Richards is an older man and yeah. he's now got 10 years older but it really hit home in this issue when you suddenly go who's going to get older Aunt May's going to get older mm. and Aunt May was already old <laughs> you know what I mean so so here in the 80s Aunt May is clearly suffering from Alzheimer's or, or some degenerative neurological yeah. condition you know MJ is heavily pregnant uh, because you know and Peter has disappeared for three weeks where was Peter in 1984 for three weeks Battle World Battle World Consult Book Club number two <laughs> exactly so we've got a fantastic uh, double page spread which we, where we see the heroes of uh, Secret Wars doing their doing their thing uh, on Battle World I love uh, just as you mentioned there you can see a much older Reed Richards and a much older Battle Doctor World. Octopus yeah um, so there's there's some really that's a lovely double page spread yeah. Mark Bagley probably went I get to draw Secret Wars this is awesome <laughs> that's probably how Sadarsky pitched it to probably it'll be a great double page spread where you can do an homage to Secret Wars you know and you know we see we see the scene from Secret Wars that we've talked about where Peter's trying to repair his what is now I guess technically his spider armour and we see the scene where uh, Hulk a retake of the scene where Hulk <laughs> yeah. and uh Thor are coming out of the room with their new their new stitches, their new yeah. clothes. So and Spider Man goes in and uh, re- replaces his clothes with, you know, yes, and it it's just it's fantastic to see Mark Bagley do that in this story. Really lovely. So uh, Peter returns to Earth with the new black costume. Um, his his twins are already are already born. Um, you know, uh, it was hard. There was complications, but we hit the jackpot. Meet Claire and Benjamin. So, where's the name Claire come from? Obviously, Benjamin, Uncle Ben. But I think we sort of nod there of any kind. Is was was Claire the name of MJ's aunt who lived beside? Oh, I can't okay. remember. Yeah, I can't remember. Um, be worth be worth sticking into the Googles. Um, 
so yeah, different bits and pieces happening. We've got the you know I guess the Cold War, uh, you know some some stuff happening division here and uh, older older Parker and uh, Reed Richards trying to do some stuff. Uh, Reed gets a look at the costume. It seems to go a wee bit differently. Peter Peter seems a wee bit more addicted to the costume mm-hmm. than he was even in the original timeline, and he won't let Reed. Well, I think a lot of that reason is given in this because he's got older. He's a he little bit slower. Yeah. He's, you know, he's he's not a you know twenty year old man anymore. So that gives him that power, as you say. Mm. And then you know we've got the double pressures of them having twins and them trying to look after a doting Aunt May. Yeah. MJ suggests they put her in a senior's home. Of course, Peter's not going to have that. Aunt May raised him, you know. Um, and then you have to look at the probably the impact the costumes having on him because you know and it's interesting because in, in the original you know Saga of the Alien costume whenever Peter's wearing the Alien costume he neglects to shave he's a wee bit more haggard looking because it's drawing on his sense of responsibility and feeding on him emotionally um, it twists into what we were just talking about Craven's last hunt here as Craven dressed in the uh, dressed in the black costume comes after him again an older an older Craven um, uh, we see uh, Craven, you know, bury Peter in the coffin as he did then, and uh, and then we're we're the 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 two things sort of look together again. He's gone. Mary Jane's missing him. You know, the the costume which is cooked up in Peter's lab is now frantic to find him. You know what I mean? So we've got the saga of the alien costume uh, crossing over with Craven's last hunt, which is you know. Um, so the costume rescues rescues Peter. Uh, we maybe see the first uh, sniffs of venom. That's a venom early uh, on. Yeah, tribute, absolutely. It? Yeah. That's it. So it's also is that a reference to Craven's Last Hunt as well? That cover. Well, like we were just saying that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Where he's cra- where he's climbing out of the grave. Well, yeah, Chris yeah. Oaks. Yeah, it's, it's much earlier. Yeah. yeah. Just, uh, uh, Alan, Alan, uh, Alan lost focus there for a minute. Alan so. lost a bit of. Alan got a bit distracted there by you know the mighty Northern Ireland scoring a late goal. You know, and then clearly, <laughs> then clearly, clearly, we're seeing the start of venom here. Yeah. But Peter has told MJ, you know, if this thing happens, you know, you need to do this. You know, if if, if I lose control with this costume, you need to do this. So she appears with a sonic blaster, uh, and uh, Peter's going, Mary Jane, it, it happened. You need to, you know, what you need to do. She's going, please don't make me do it, you know, knowing that it might kill Peter, but uh, she uses the, the blaster to blast the costume off him. And the next we see is Mary Jane leaving, leaving with the kids, uh, leaving Peter, who was left emotionally bereft at the end of the last issue, mm. uh, now <laughs> left emotionally bereft at the end of this issue. This gets worse for him. Yeah. His, his life before was the like all right compared to this. The, the partner luck is a, is, <laughs> yeah. a real, is a real bugger whenever yeah. you don't have elastic time. <laughs> Um, you know, so he's left with his doting Aunt May standing in the window, and uh, oh, that that bit of Aunt May looking out the windows. Yeah, and then I wonder, you know, we see this final final issue where the final page where in Craven's last hunt, Craven was going to end his own life, but the now rejected alien costume wraps itself around Craven's rifle. So, are we going to see a Craven, an older Craven? Craven. You know, so that's is that who Venom is going to be? So that is fantastic great stuff love this series love this series it's like a what yeah. if almost just put up into a, into it's, some sort of mini series yeah, or event almost yeah, isn't it I mean Mark Bagley is just fantastic he's just, I such, love a, such a simple idea as well and you just think it's there for every other character yeah, yeah. 
like this life story can become a thing. That's I, what's interesting with this because it's not just a Spidey story. You know, LA it does have the other when you see the other characters, characters and how it affects yeah. them. As yeah. you say, what's to say six months from now? Fantastic Four life story. Yeah, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. Yeah, I think I'd just buy them all. Yeah, I think that'd be actually pretty yeah. wonderful. You know, and that's assuming the concept's good, but assuming it's done well. So Zdarsky's doing it well. Yeah. He's doing his research. I mean, he's clearly gone back and read. Yeah, a lot of these Spidey stories and going actually, what would happen here if Spider-Man was older, or what would have happened if da 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 da, or how do we compress these stories that happened yeah. in the eighties into this yeah. one issue? Do they all cross over? Do they, you know, it's it's really interesting. It's really it's really loving it. It's uh, and the covers are gorgeous. They are. Say. This is this is my favorite series of the year, no doubt about it. So far, you know that could change, but well, from one of the best series to the year to the. Best single issue of the year. Absolutely. Thus agreed. far. Yeah. Um, so we were saying it was a trilogy of Spider-Man titles. We've talked a lot about this title already, Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man, uh, with uh, Tom Taylor and Juan Cabal on art. Um, but this one, this was just incredible. <laughs> issue six, uh, Roddy's crying already. Um, <laughs> so issue six has introducing Spider-Bite on the front. A little backstory in this issue as well. Th this was the first thing I read the week it came out. And sometimes Keith will have a wee bit. Obviously, Keith has a big pull list, so he maybe have a couple of titles left from the previous week, and he never yeah. likes to start his new week until he's finished his previous. Yeah, I must have went on at him about five times to read this <laughs> issue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can you please just put it to the top of your pile because I really want to talk about it. Um, so yeah, this is uh, number six, which introduces Spider Bite. So starts off with a very simple story. You know, Spidey is being attacked by uh, Doctor Octopus on the bridge well we should maybe put this in a con context I guess of the story that's gone before because I think that's important too yeah I mean but I don't think you realise that straight away no and in a way no, that true. was some of its strength true. I mean fair enough so the, the first five issues of Friendly Neighbourhood obviously dealing with Aunt May succumbing to cancer um, you know the last issue Peter didn't want to at the start of the issue didn't want to help her but by the end of the issue he was there at the hospital he was you yeah, know at her appointments he was at yeah. her appointments he was bringing her food he was like look your best guy's always here yeah. for you. Know, and I mean, we should probably clarify he didn't want to help her because he couldn't deal with it emotionally. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's it. He didn't want to accept it. Yeah. Um, Jesus, Peter gets a real rough time of it, doesn't he? <laughs> he really does. We only enjoy it when he's suffering. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, this issue just starts off and it almost starts off in a way where you think, what happened last issue? Yeah. yeah. So it starts off with Spidey being attacked uh, on the uh, the Manhattan Bridge. Very classic Spidey story, um, you know. The, the, you know, it's pouring with rain, there's thunder there, Dr. Octopus has him on the ground, and he's holding this box, which is like glowing gold, um, and he's saying, you feel Spider-Man. And the then box is mine, New York will be part of us. You know, and even that dialogue itself, when you've read the issue, you realize why it's so simplistic yeah, and yeah, so yeah. classic. But yeah, you then get into it and you're introduced to Spider-Bite, um, you know, who clearly has the same sort of wit as Spider-Man, you know, same. get every single one yeah. of your hands off him, you know, and he's, you know, Dr. Octopus looks at him and he's like, you're, what are you, eight? Then they do this really great sequence where he does this sort of flip, he's like, I'm nine and a half. <laughs> Crack. Crack. <laughs> um, and then he's like, no, stop hitting yourself, stop hitting, <laughs> you know, it's, it's really childish, but really funny at the same time. And then, uh, you know. Spider Bite has Dr. Octopus overpowered. Um, the Vulture swoops in, yeah, you know, and uh, recaptures the box and uh, takes Dr. Octopus away. Um, Spider Man's still trapped under trapped under the rubble, you know, the, the rubble of the bridge, you know. And uh, meanwhile, 
yeah, strangely, um, Dr. Octopus and Vulture get onto a tram, they get on a train. To <laughs> unexpected plot. Yes. They're getting on a train, you know. And uh, Spider-Man says, that that's unexpected. Very few nefarious, nefarious supervillain schemes rely in public transit. Uh, Spider-Man, you know, can't get out from under the rubble on his own, you know. He goes, I said, okay, I'm not going anywhere. A little help, you know. So then you're already kind of going... Dialogue here is really odd. It's really strange, you know. And then you get the next one, which once you realise you've read it, just this kills me. He's like, you know, spider bites, you know, touching the all the rubble, and he's like, I don't think I can lift it. And Spider Man's like, you're stronger than you think we are, or you're stronger than you think you are. We all are. And I'm just like, (laughs) (laughs) we're stronger together, and they're able to lift it. Yeah, and clearly, clearly in the story, Spider Bite and Spider Man have a background together. You know, they fist pump, you know, and. Spider, he's like, thanks, Spider Bite. Do you need a rest or no way? I'm good. Come on, we have a train to catch. <laughs> so uh, yeah, so they make it onto the. They instantly just make it onto the train as well. It's just a great little jump point there from yeah. swinging to we're on the train. Um, you know, and Spider Man saying like, you know, why do you need this box back, Spider Bite? You know, what's in the box? And Spider Bite says is obviously a very important line. It's the heart of the city. Um, so they're on the train and then suddenly just the vulture and Dr. Octopus become Craven and Black Cat and suddenly all the villains are starting to appear um, and they arrive at Grand Central Station and Spider-Man Spider-Bite run after them and it's like you got to be kidding me what is this the Sinister Six Green Goblin's now there so's Mysterio Black and- Black Cat was never a member of the Sinister Six that I recall <laughs> well I'll let you read out the next line of this is no mere Sinister Six <laughs> I present, you know, after Mysterio removes the veil from their minds, I present the Sinister Sixty, and that is a fantastic double page yeah, spread. Yeah, you gotta check out that double page spread. You gotta <laughs> yeah. read the issue first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This but, is a double page and, uh, spread we've shown Keith about five times just to get him the name. Keith, all really? Keith, Keith, I think he did. I think he got all of them when I talked. Yeah, to yeah, him about we're it. doing all right. There's a few. There's a few real uh, kind of. Uh, obscure ones there as well yeah. definitely there's a lot of different cravens and, uh, but I mean that's but, yeah. just like a beautiful art print waiting to happen as oh, well oh, you yeah. know you've got the goblin there rising high above them you know everybody looking really smug and spidey and spider bite you know getting ready to fight fists clench and then the next page is a really beautiful one as well the next page is, is the next page is one that I get the impression some people would skip through it quickly it's like right it's fighting okay loads of small panels just keep going but there's loads of great little details there are yeah there are Um, it's a double page spread again yeah you know um, separated into tiny little panels Um, I guess it chronicles the fight between the Sinister Sixty versus Spider-Man and (laughs) Spider-Bite yeah and you've got you know all sorts of things happening in the panels you know pumpkin bombs going off you've got Spider-Man and Spider-Bite back to back you've got them sort of shaking hands after taking some down so all of this happens and um Of course, it, it ends with both Spider-Man and Spider-Bite uh, punching the Green Goblin. And you know, Spider-Man says, I don't know how you put this together, Osborn. Me? I'm not the mastermind behind this. Then who? And it goes, up here. And then you have this great throwback <laughs> to early Spider-Man. Was Stiltman the very first Spider-Man villain? No, no, he wasn't. But he no. was really early, wasn't he? He was really early, and he uh, he's... He's stilt man. He's a guy in an armored suit and the legs grow tall. He's stilt man, like. But the thing is, even Spider Man's like, you know, stilt man. <laughs> exactly. Together by stilt man. Spider Bite's like, I wouldn't underestimate stilt man. <laughs> Please, he has the proportional powers of a man with a convenient ladder. 
ah, he's never been this tall before, he must have had an upgrade. Um, so they go after him, spin webs around the stilts, you know, still man crumbles to the ground. And then it cuts to the next page and Spider-Man and Spider-Bite are, you know, th this should have been the first clue here as well where the story was going. I'll be honest, I just got lost in this and just read it. Yeah, yeah. I wasn't yeah, looking yeah, for clues, yeah. but now that I look at it, the rooftop they're on, you look at the building behind them, yeah. it looks like it's been drawn with crayons. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and Spider-Man's like, I can't believe it came down. And still. Now it, yeah, it looks like it's cardboard and everything. Yeah. You know, so yeah and okay. he's like, why? He's one of your greatest foes. Do you only think that because he's tall? Maybe. Um, and then it starts, the, the conversation starts getting a bit more real at well, this point. Well, then it goes, yeah. You know, you it's know. like, you're not short. I am short. You're nine and a half. It comes with the territory. You'll grow. And then Spider-Man's like, I, I'm going to get so choked yeah. up. <laughs> <laughs> with a, with a stuck-out pouty lip, he says. I, I hope, hope so. so. You can actually see the pouty lip yeah, through it as can, well. Oh, yeah. that's killing me. It's uh, so we we Spider Man's wondering what's in the box. You know what what is what the was, heart? What was worth heart taking down York? the Sinister yeah. Sixty for? You know, and uh, Spider Bite opens the box and it's a Spider Man figurine inside. Um, you know, and uh, they have a conversation. You know, yeah, you know where Spider Bite says, "Do you have this one?" And Spider Man's. You, you think I collect my own action figures? Spider-Bite says, of course. <laughs> yeah, okay, I do. Don't tell anyone. <laughs> but I don't really take them out of the box. <laughs> what a waste. Yeah. You know, there's a child's mentality yeah. against the collector's yeah. mentality. So, um, and I'll, I'll do like the line Spider-Man has of, man, I wish I actually had this many points of articulation. <laughs> it would be really useful. <laughs> Hold on. Does my head really look that big? Yeah. Um, but now again, the, the story's getting more and more real and Spider-Bite's starting to cough and uh, it's like I'm just cough and then um, Spider-Man says let's get that mask off he says but what about my secret identity it's alright we saved the whole world I think that's enough adventure and then it cuts to um, them on top of these lockers clearly they're in this hospital um, you can see that Spider-Bite is wearing you know he's a kid wearing pyjama bottoms and slippers slippers Spider-Man mask yeah, yeah they've got all these cardboard boxes and you can see some of the There's nurses the thick, and thick cloud walls yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> the toy story wall I like yeah, to call yeah, it you know, um, and they, yeah they've, they've built a city from cardboard and, and there's other people standing around all dressed and make up made up cosplay costumes yeah. of, of stilt man and electro <laughs> and the shocker and vulture and green goblin and yeah it becomes clear that we're in a hospital oh god there's a there's another great moment i didn't even notice that before but he gets his dad to be stilt man that's why <laughs> yeah, he keeps yeah. talking about why stilt man that is, is the, the greatest best. villain yeah oh yeah, my yeah. God. so so it becomes clear that uh, that we're in a hospital here and uh, spider bites secret identity is is nathan yeah, uh, and Spider-Man takes Nathan down off the top of the lockers where they're at, and uh, hands him to his dad, Stiltman. You write with him. I think I can manage him. You were a great Stiltman, Dad. <laughs> yeah, you know he says thanks. <laughs> I know, I've always aspired to be more vulnerable, being able to reach things on higher <laughs> shelves. <laughs> you know, you know and we're we're a bit. You know, we we I think it becomes clear then that, uh, that Nathan is uh, is a child cancer patient. Yeah. And he's he's bald and. Uh, you know, Spider-Man's very worried that he may have braised his elbow a bit, battling Doc Ock and saving the city, small price to pay. You know, Nathan's worried there were a bunch of continuity areas, plot holes, but we fought the Sinister Sixty, you know, and they try and put him to bed, you know, yeah, even superheroes need rest. You have the concerned parents at this point, obviously saying, come on, even superheroes need rest, right, Spider-Man? And then you turn the page and you get this explosion of anger from Nathan saying, I don't want to go to bed. And it's, it's really, it's what you expect from a child, like that yeah. sort of, 
you know, and ferocity that, of yeah, it. That, this is playtime. It is, and it's 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 that we've had a great time, and then it's just too much, and it's yeah, too you know, it's, it's, yeah, exactly, yeah. And, you know, it's, yeah, absolutely. So, but he instant like Spider Man looks at him after he shouted, and you know, straight away Nathan's apologizing. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to ruin it. And Spider Man's like, look, you didn't ruin anything. It's okay. So Spider Man like um, is taken to the side by his parents. And as he's walking away, Nathan's like, will you come back? Will you say goodbye? And he's like, of course. I'm not just going to walk away from my partner. And then they're standing in the hallway. And then you have the whole line that just... I actually feel myself getting lumps <laughs> yeah. in my throat here. This is actually killing me. Um, but he's like saying, don't worry about it. He's a great kid. And hey, no one wants to go to bed when they're having fun. The mum says, it's not that. he uh, He's worried he won't get up again. Oh, yeah, man, you're gonna finish. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even joking. Yeah, oh no. So it's great. It's a great finish. I mean, I should say that I've read this three times, and every time it's had me in floods of tears. Uh, you know, and uh, so Spider-Man realizes that he hasn't done enough yet. You know, so he asks if Nathan has a coat, a coat, something warm. Parents are like, "What? Yeah." So you know, he's still apologizing for yelling. You know, and he's saying, "Don't worry about it. You like being Spider-Man for a day." Yeah, yeah, it was awesome. <laughs> Ronnie, over to you. Yeah. <laughs> even like he even, even says to him, he's like, "You've been amazing." And it's like yeah. the understanding then, is incredible. So, because here's the <clears> thing: <throat> your day's not over yet. Yeah, and uh, just a fantastic, fantastic and panel. There it is. Nathan and Spider-Man are just flying through the air, flying through the skyscrapers in New York City. The real flying. New York City now. Yes, the real New yeah. York City. <laughs> so he's taking Nathan no crayon background. Yeah, he's, yeah, web just swinging with him. Yeah, everything so. that Spider-Man is, this book is it's just fantastic. Fun, yeah, heart, proper gut punch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. big stud, big stud. Yeah, just a really lovely, sweet. I think most of the most of the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man stories have had stuff like that. I've had yeah, hearts. They've, they've yeah. had that heart and humor. But humor, yeah. And so, and it, it's uh, so funny too. It calls back to you know stories like the boy who loved Spider-Man, and mm-hmm. um, there's there there are some you know so there, there's definitely there's definitely some callbacks in there, but set against the background of Aunt May having cancer. Yeah, and yeah. that's obviously the reason why he's met Nathan in the first place in this cancer hospital. It's just, it's just it's it's great really great that mean my issue of the year so far yeah I think it'll be very hard to beat as well yeah I think it's all of ours mm-hmm. like I, I, I've told so many people about it in the yeah. store and told me I read it before the podcast and uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean that's probably it was, the f- it was tough to get through that's at least the fourth maybe even fifth time I've went yeah. through it and it still affects me <laughs> yeah you, you, you I, all Alan wasn't joking when he said he had to stop I'm really not and I wasn't joking <laughs> when like, I said I had to hold off to Ronnie a lot of lip quivering <laughs> yeah um, but, but yeah I mean it's a perfect distillation of what that character means and just all the stuff you know Nathan said about you're the heart of the city mm. and you're what gives people hope that was lovely and, and I, uh, you know I hadn't I hadn't realised that before that that's that was the significance that yeah. he sees better so imagine being swinging through the air with your greatest hero like yeah. brilliant you know what I mean unbelievable as a kid and that we seen there where we started to see the the imagination breaking down and you saw the cardboard walls I didn't even really yeah, notice that until we were yeah. seeing that yeah, that's yeah. fantastic yeah. Um, great great yeah, just anything Tom Taylor just turns his hands to we talk He's about him all the time but that's because and it was Batman exactly. Annual 3 he had the yeah, similar sort of story with Alfred. Yeah. Yeah. 
you know and then but he can still do like the horror stuff like deceased and yeah yep. um but yeah as, as keith said and as i've said you know i i think this will be hard to top for issue of the mm-hmm. year mm-hmm. if you were to hand anyone one comic book this yeah. year who'd have never that? read a comic before Maybe yeah never there yeah. you go yeah. yeah you know and that's why we love the medium um yeah, I'm I'm really emotional. What are you even joking? <laughs> All other comics pale in significance to that one this month. Um, yeah, so three hours of talking. There's been tears. There's been laughter. Now there's going to be pizza. Now there's going to be pizza. <laughs> so we're gonna we're gonna call it at three hours and fifteen minutes. Um, but no, that that was a pleasure. And going through that book, honestly, is just wonderful brilliant yeah. thoroughly wonderful um, how can folks get in touch with Coffee and Heroes if they want to grab any of these books come to the store um, I've organised extra copies of that issue I, I want to make sure I have that in stock mm-hmm. as yeah. much as possible they've even done a second print with this beautiful you know new cover with Spider-Bite standing on a stage and Spider-Man behind him and all these players behind oh, him oh lovely yeah um, but yeah we're obviously we're in Smithfield Market um, yeah, in Belfast in Belfast behind Castle Court you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, just search Coffee and Heroes. Um, get in touch any way you can. Um, cool. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Roddy McCants and also at Fracture Press. And yeah, Fracture Press on Facebook too, and then Instagram, all that good stuff. And I'm on uh, Twitter at Ascanison00, which will mean something to you if you're a cable fan. <laughs> <laughs> and um, just we should say thank you for listening and. Um, if you want give us a like subscribe yep. find us on your podcast network yeah. and give us a good rating um, iTunes is specifically important it. for that yep. so you know, yeah. if you can find us on iTunes and uh, give us a 5 star rating that would be fabulous otherwise I'll be in tears again <laughs> you don't want to do that <laughs> alright gents pleasure as always Indeed. yeah thank you alright All right, I'm going to read Friendly Neighborhood Spider <laughs> see you next see time see you again bye <laughs>